they are so invested in this idea that my moral position is so much better than yours that I don't have to debate these right. issues. Exactly. And that's the problem. It's religious it's, thinking. It's, 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 it's religious it's thinking. I want to say that. Wow. Okay. See, Thad is, 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 so, is so surprised. I lost control earlier. <laughs> it's it's like lot, a, I just want to explain to it's everyone. It's like a 12-step meeting. And to Michael. You know, it's a lot of pent-up, you know, frustration <laughs> with certain people in this room over many months of listening to the fifth call. Oh, yeah. Well, that's fine. It's all good. Is it sexual frustration, Thad? Hell yeah, man. We know of new methods of attack. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. And to get through that without interruption, uh, delighted to have you with us. Jesus Christ. I went to debate. Uh, Thinks that he like runs. Yep, there it is. That's the invitation, actually. That's what that is. This is your almost weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and ourselves. This is uh, episode 57, recorded on the evening of May 17th. Obviously, there is going to be some breaking news during this podcast that will throw everything else into a disarray. But until then, I'm joined by Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine. Thank you for being here, Welch. Michael Moynihan, national <laughs> <laughs> correspondent. Can you say my name with more contempt? Tonight. <laughs> Moynihan. There you go. <laughs> and uh, you know, usually you I, be nice now. Usually, I wait to introduce the guest, but uh, this this gentleman almost needs no introduction. But this is a podcast, and this is kind of the thing you do. Thad Russell, author, hey, Renegade History of the United States. Is this number host, two or number three? Host, host baby, host of the very successful, fairly new, unregistered podcast, Thaddeus Dam Russell. Held over his tra- travel plans, stayed in New York City just a little longer to be in the studio with us. Thank so, you for it, being it's here. Just, it's just about love. This I mean, is that's true. Why. I heard you get dragged off a flight. What? <laughs> easy, easy, easy. Everybody calm down. I, no, I love you guys. That's why I'm here. So wow. I just want that clear. I want wow. everyone to know that. Well, but yeah, that, the thing about me being successful, yes, that's especially true. This yep. is true. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, people should should know that and, da- and, and subscribe to the podcast because I was like really jealous when I saw that Fat's podcast had about like it, it had been on for about four minutes and it was in like the top 30. Yeah. You yeah. Know? But he had to endure the uh, the uh, Joe Rogan treatment and the Joe Rogan uh, fans afterwards to get to that point, well, right? That he, isn't that not, isn't that an instrumental in making your he, podcast just successful? Shut up now! I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're not we're not sure. Twitter's an open forum. They love me, man. They love me, <laughs> but we're not sure Wait, if the success of that is a compliment, right? When oh yeah, sure, sure, <laughs> sure. It's a term of endearment, is what I hear. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's yeah. like it's like I like you and I want to do things with you. Is yeah, what it means, yeah, right? totally. Yeah. It also yeah. means bundle of sticks, mm-hmm. which is very mm-hmm. interesting. Bundle of joy. I don't think there. Any other meanings for that word? Fascist. I just want you to know that. Get that. Right. That's true. Um, Whatever. Keep going. <laughs> but I was I was going to say that it's not that the Rogan appearance is the only thing that might have catapulted your podcast into the stratosphere. Um, I mean, you did have a pretty stellar guest mm. like that same week. Mm-hmm. So we at least have to allow for the possibility that either one of those things could have lifted, vaulted supported the rise, the meteoric rise of your podcast into the stratosphere. Whoever that incredibly handsome. It was was. none other than Armstrong Williams. (laughs) Some some white white guy? It was like a... Yeah, a Scottish guy. Uh, Uh, Red hair. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Yeah. Joke joke if you like. Yeah. 
but they yeah. got what they wanted, yeah. damn it. They did with um, an hour of Herman Cain. <laughs> <laughs> nine, nine, nine. <laughs> um, Speaking of the people getting what they wanted. Oh. Yeah. Ooh, good trans- good right. section. Smackdown. Last mm. night, Tuesday, mm. at the Soho Forum, which we had uh, advertised pretty vigorously on this, uh, vigorously. On this po- podcast. Yeah. No thanks to me. Uh, no thanks to Camille, as usual. Uh, this The Soho Forum's been around. It's a monthly thing put on by Gene Epstein of uh, Barron's, uh, where they usually get a libertarian to debate, uh, sometimes another libertarian, oftentimes a non. Uh, the imp- important thing is that they hate each other or disagree vehemently, and they do an Oxford-style debate on a topic. That, and you start in, they do an audience vote. Okay, how do you, do you all think yes or no or not sure on this assertion? And last night the assertion was... Uh, you know, there's uh, the the atmosphere for America's uh, colleges have you. fostered a racist environment that makes them hostile spaces for African American students. So uh, fosters, fosters, fostered, fostered. Like, trigger uh, warning there. Anyways, yeah. so in the history of this Soho Forum, twice now uh, they've had uh, someone go up there and move the noodle. Uh, move the noodle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. We're already God, there. I, you know what? I, Literally what you did when you got home last I night. I moved a lot of noodles last night. <laughs> only, only drinking water today. Wow. Covering. Uh, covering. I mean, only drinking water right now, but yeah. I wouldn't go for as far as saying today. But anyways, the only uh, two people who uh, moved it by a double-digit uh, percentage mar- oh. margins are in this room. And mm. Camille did it last night. We still, do we still know whether you beat my previous record or it was close to it? People went in, said, uh, I think 48 or 49 percent um, disagreed. With uh, with the assertion uh, that Camille just read, and by the time he was done, just cutting, you know, but, but when the cutting was done, the only part that wasn't bloody was the sole of the big man's feet. Hmm. Uh, I, it was seventy five percent. He just absolutely slayed I didn't know the room. That. Yeah. Oh no, it was. Nice. Uh, it, and the other guy was pretty good. I mean, the other he guy, uh, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't have agreed with a word that he said, maybe at that. But his I mean, delivery, his delivery. He was fine. energetic. But the thing that Camille did, which was brilliant, was like uh, he was the only one to uh, cite an actual relevant study <laughs> about it <laughs> and M- myriad studies. No, uh, I, have, I have Thad to thank for that. Thad. So, Shot me uh, some research early on in the process, um, and uh, look, it was a, it was a healthy, respectful exchange, uh, more respectful and healthy than I thought it might be. I don't really love the format. I don't love opening up with a fifteen-minute monologue. Uh, yeah, that's for me. In fact, I initially started out the debate turning to him and just talking because my interest is in having an exchange with you. And in fact, I'd like you to cut me off when I start to go. Off on a oh, tangent. he can cut you off. Yeah, bring me back. So, well, look, you guys do it anyways, whether or not I give you permission to. That's it's true. your white privilege, and that is what I kept mm-hmm. trying to explain yesterday. Um, that was a joke. I'm, I'm not good at sarcasm. <laughs> but um, <laughs> last night, you know, look, it was an interesting exchange. Uh, he made, I think, the best point that he made uh, was perhaps when he talked about the uh, buildings on campus that may, in fact, be named after uh, deplorable people. Um, who were a part of the campus's lineage and who perhaps participated in lynchings, lots of lynchings, and wrote about it glowingly, saying it was something that they were incredibly proud of. Like someone who participated in genocide had a building named after them on campus. And when there was a hearing um, afterwards, uh, the, uh, the campus committee decided, you know, we're not going to change the name. They decided to put a plaque on the building instead. Um, And the plaque talked about the horrible, terrible things that this person had done. 
um, and the statement that was released by the university afterwards. And he does tell this entire story in his book. But the statement that was released by the university afterwards went on to explain that, you know, a, a building is built with many stones. Some of those stones are difficult to look at and to, and to hold, but they are ours. And we need to we need to wrestle with that. Lawrence characterized this as one of many examples of the racism that is endemic on America's campuses. And he drew a line, and this is not um, hyperbole, he drew a line from slavery all the way to Jim Crow, all the way to redlining, to campuses today, and that very building being there as an insult, dehumanizing, telling black students on America's campuses um, that they are less than human. Um, and, uh, my perspective was, yeah, no, that's not how that works. Um, and I, uh, also cited out, shouted out a few studies, uh, studies that showed that most students thought their campus was fine. Black students. Even black students mm-hmm. thought their campus was fine. Black students were on average a little lower. And there were, I found at least two studies that, that looked at similar periods between like the end of 2015, um, and mid 2016, uh, and these, in both cases, were like several thousand students demographically representative of their campuses. Um, but the interesting secondary insight was that these students were also saying that they were deeply concerned about the treatment of black people in America and that they suspected that on other campuses that the situation was bad, which is one of those things. Mm-hmm. It's like, so everyone thinks that their campus is fine. Something is wrong with the with America's campuses. Um, I don't know. I mean, there may something, be any number something of is, something is certainly that. wrong with America's campuses. Yeah. It might not be that though. exactly. Well, there's any any number of things that might explain that. What's What's interesting about a debate like this is your job is to not prove the negative. Like I just have to prove he's not making his case particularly well. Um, And he did not have, uh, I mean, this is not a favorable proposition. Colleges have fostered a racist environment. How on earth could that be true? I took a look at the top 10 um, universities in the country and the top 25 um, public universities um, in the country. And every single one of them has some chancellor of diversity. And in many cases, it's multiple people who hold these positions. That's enormous um, bureaucracies of um, these things. Every single one of them has an a- African-American studies program. We didn't look at it. Um, and Dan uh, Beer was actually helpful with this, uh, uh, as well as a few other people who helped with research. Thank you. Um, you won't get name checked. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, every single one of these places are making massive investments in order to try and bring black students to their campuses. Um, but despite all of that, they are dens of racism and iniquity. So and it just, just doesn't seem. To I be take nice. it that he sort of um, insisted. He maintained this argument that it's it's that kind of racism that is on campuses, which is the racism of the violence and the segregation and the dogs and the hoses instead and of the, going to the, and the lynchings. Uh-huh. Is that it? I mean, it's well, not, it's, not it's so the much. white supremacy. I mean, yeah. he, well, and, but, that, and that, the, the, for him, the it, white supremacy there is, is a white supremacy is the, is, the ar- is the architecture of American right. life. No, and Camille, but, he, but it's both things. It's that. But he also and his book is a litany of anecdotes about various events on race on campuses and the racist events go from the students who were singing on the bus um, about how yeah. there will never be Oklahoma. a nigger in there. Oklahoma yeah. frat boys. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There will never be a nigger in their fraternity, yada, yada, yada. Well, of course, at the time, there were already 
black people, not not niggers. I think they self-identify as black, but I'm not sure. We mm-hmm. would have to ask them to be sure. And the governor actually became involved in that case. I mean, that's it, what happens when you, yeah, well, when this you is, do that in private. It is know. it is odd, and it's funny that I never I didn't point that out. Um, and I guess I just neglected to. But he never acknowledges the fact that in every single one of these cases, the kids get thrown out of school. And in many cases, because they have these rapid response units that they have put on these campuses, FIRE actually just had a report about something like 250 or 300 of these units that have been put on campuses. They have secret hearings. If you say something that someone else perceives as racist, Mm -hmm. because that is when we're talking microaggressions, it is subjective assessments of whether or not this is racist. Ithaca College has an anonymous reporting system. Yes. So anyone can report on anyone about anything at any time. And the hearings can be held in secrets. And it goes to an official tribunal in the administration. There was a news story last week um, at Northwestern of uh, two uh, rapes at a fraternity house at Northwestern. Um, The Northwestern newspaper reported this. There was a bit of pickup on the Chicago Tribune. And when you got a couple paragraphs into the Northwestern uh, newspaper's article, um, the two supposed victims were not the people who had reported this. It was reported anonymously. And then all of a sudden the story disappeared. There were, of course, you know, protests and, and, and the, you know, the, the ritualistic stuff that happens after this. And it was an anonymous uh, tip to some hotline, to some email address that um, – so you're obviously creating a, a sort of dummy email address without names and without perpetrators. So there was just a report that made it to a newspaper based on some rumor. Um, this is the kind of place we're at right now, especially at places like Northwestern. So the thing about race though is that it's – one of the things that's so frustrating about all of this is that there's no way for these people to talk about race except – These people? Sorry. Bad? Yeah. Really? <laughs> Damn. Damn it. He's looking at you, too. You, I mean, we were we were making progress. I, I felt about... like we were going to get to the mountaintop, and you just taken us all, all right, the way back the down. Fuck up. I'm sorry. So here's what goes on. <laughs> <laughs> you see that? So, so, you know, I'm one of the major critics of all this stuff that goes on on campuses, and I've seen it. Um, what comes out of the mouths of the students and many of the faculty and people like Lawrence, what's his name? Ross. Ross. Lawrence right. Ross, author of Blackballed it, it, and almost, Divine Nine. Almost all of it is fantasy. It's almost all made up. There's almost zero evidence for that kind of racism on campuses. I mean, the idea that the Ku Klux Klan is at Oberlin, you know, actually. <laughs> wait, it was you a, understand. Yeah. Yeah. That circulated not just at Oberlin, but no, he, nationally. He mentioned, he mentioned it. I was at Occidental College in Los Angeles during that time. And fac- a faculty member came to me and said, did you hear what's going on at Oberlin? And I said, no, what? It's just terrible. There's the Ku Klux Klan chapter is that over i said you've got to be kidding i mean it's so the one at antioch i'm talking about gr- grown-ups you know faculty can, can, can i this. can i interject and say what that was it you, was a girl uh, in a sheet no it was a girl with a towel on her head well, drying drying her hair oh sorry yes that's what, <laughs> it's actually true right. actually there's two there were two cases of the clan yeah one was yeah. the girl with the towel or the sheet and the yeah. other was the um towel the yeah no no, yeah. no there was two two clan uh events one was um a sheet over um, an instrument in a lab, and someone uh, saw it through a window and said that that was the claim. Yeah, <laughs> sleeping Oberlin. in the music room. Everyone should go look <laughs> that's, at. That's where you want to everyone go. should go look at the number of hate crimes reported at Oberlin College. It's something like I want to say it's four digits annually. Mm. Is that right? Something like that, or it's or like high three digits. It's a, an incredible. That's incredible. Number. Here, so 
Can I? What can be drawn from that is that these very, very sort of lefty places like Oberlin are full of racists. Well, sometimes, <laughs> so, some lefty racists. Sometimes there are actually, parties, yeah. and yeah. you will have so, yeah. you will actually have a hundred reports from the same party. So all this stuff is nonsense. It's all fantasy. It's all crazy hysteria. However, I have also said, and this is very important. This gets missed by people kind of on our side of this thing is that I do think black students in college campuses do get horribly mistreated by the colleges themselves, but in a totally different way. They get plucked out of these neighborhoods. They get put on these campuses to represent the race. They are they – are, uh, it's asked of them to speak for all black people all the time. Then the worst thing – and I see this all the time and it is stomach-turning – they get treated like children. So no matter what you say – it's the it's so intelligent and so important and so smart. They never get contradicted by faculty, by administrators. I, I thought that I was all of those things. Are you saying that that's not what was going they on? They get on patted campus? on the head. What's that? You're saying that that's that they were just doing this for what about me? <laughs> like yeah. that special treatment wasn't because I was special. Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah, I know it's hard for you, but yeah. I know it's gonna be hard for you. <laughs> but I'm here. We're, we're, we're here. We're it's friends. You're, you're painting with a broad brush that not we didn't all get the same treatment. Um. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You're a we now? I'm, oh, man. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I'm playing along. So <laughs> it's not – I mean you could call that racism. Mm-hmm. It's something. I mean I call it I call it racial liberalism or liberal paternalism or something like that. But that's what it is. It's, it's grotesque. And, and so the, there's a pressure of the other too. And this is something that uh, Ross brought up. Um, and, and that's the one thing that I, I kind of agree with him. Um, when you're just in a minority, you're conscious. You're made conscious of being a, a different person. It could be in that way of like yeah. like trying to pat you on the head, make sure everything's cool, but you're just like you're you're always aware of it, yeah. and that's but they're kind ma- of unpleasant. They're made into the other by this thing, and there's a desperation for black faces. I mean, every faculty, every administration, desperate for black faces in the faculty for the students. They'll do anything to get black people in in there, and everyone knows that. And so then, of course, everyone knows, but no one says that a lot of these kids are here because of that. And only because of that. So and then there's the mismatch issue, which we've talked I think we've talked about elsewhere, um, mm-hmm. which is that, you know, they they let kids into MIT who aren't as good at math as you need to be in MIT. And it becomes so imagine that you're I mean, I can I can now understand why some black people on these campuses would go crazy. That would make me crazy. That combination of forces coming in on me. Yeah, I I don't. It's certainly the case, um, and I, I mentioned the, um, some of the admissions numbers um, that I'd seen from uh, the American Medical Association, which is one of the – it may be the only place um, that I have seen that is reporting um, the actual percentage numbers for the people that are getting admitted like by race. So you can see a person who has essentially an average GPA, an average MCAT score, and their race and the likelihood of them getting in. And it gets progressively worse for you, starting with Asians, going to whites and Hispanics and then blacks. And by the time you get to black folks, it's like 80 percent in some of those um, segments. So they're just set up for failure. Yeah. They're made into the other, like Matt was saying. Or or at least given or at least given preferential treatment. I mean, look, the the fact of the matter is that for, for I think the completion rates are not necessarily terrible for a lot of black students on most campuses, like the completion rate. Really? Yeah, not, Gradu- not You that. mean graduation yeah, rates? Yeah, gradu- really? graduation rates as compared to, and I'm just saying on average, like as compared to their white counterparts, I don't know that they're much worse at most universities. I'm, I really don't know. Hmm. I thought they were much um, higher, but. 
But I'm, I'm not sure. At least that's what's said. Should, I don't know. The, we, can look, we can look it up. The important um, thing is, and the reason why I wanted to bring this up top of the show, is yeah. that the fifth column packed the house. I mean, when the fifth column this was named from stage yesterday, that was a good, solid, like, were you were there for, there no. for the whole, you're so at your own debate. Yeah, your own debate. Yeah, own debate. his own debate. We're not allowed to talk about that. Yeah. We, um, we, we, we but, like, there own. was a good two dozen people, the, maybe more. It might have uh, been more than that. Uh, Clapping. And then we went out. me, though, because you told the story about how, oh, he turned the room, yada, yada, yada. Everyone is just going to assume that it was because we packed it. With uh, with our supporters now, that's possible. Yeah. I mean, and uh, I I just I would hope and I would expect that our listeners would be scrupulously honest about I'm their positions saying. before the debate and after the debate, and that they wouldn't uh, prime the pump to coin a phrase uh, <laughs> off, off the top of my head. Um, but uh, and then we went. I've out never to, heard that before. And then we went out uh, drinking with a, a good solid like dozen and a half 40, of them. Forty men. So strapping, many men, uh, strapping men. Holy cow! Just, They're just all thirty-one-year-old or twenty-seven-year-old dudes. Yeah, all of yeah. you. Lots of them. Yeah, That's really, nice guys. It was, uh, but it was very nice guys. I was there for this that. True. Thad came for the. Thad came later. Um, and uh, look, we had a good time. I, I appreciated folks coming out. I do. I wish I'd given you a better show. Um, I wish it had been impossible for Lawrence to sell a book in that room after <laughs> I was done. Oh, damn. Um, no, no hard feelings. Um, but. Uh, You'll, yeah, be able, you'll be able to uh, to listen uh, to it at the Soho Forum website, and also we'll put up a podcast on uh, Reason.com. Yeah, I, I really could have done a better job. My, my, you, were, my iPad, you were phenomenal. My iPad crashed in the very beginning um, <laughs> of the conversation, so I'm like citing the numbers and trying to give ranges, but yeah, whatever. It's fine. We're fine. We're, it's over. We'll get ready for the next one. There's other things happening in the world that <laughs> we should probably discuss. Um, the uh, The... The Hydra that is the uh, Comigate scandal, which continues to evolve. Uh, last week when we talked about this, Comey had been fired and people were beginning to get upset. Um, by today, we have progressed to the point uh, – and maybe, maybe we should actually just take some beats in. So he gets fired. Everyone is freaking out. Then the president does an interview. And the president seems to suggest in this interview that he may in fact have fired him because of the investigation, or at least might have been something he thought about. But as we've seen in past presidential scandals, because no one is quite sure what Donald Trump is saying, we can't really be sure if he's admitting to doing something wrong. So this is a problem we'll probably have to figure out. But as time progresses, we get a little bit further into the scandal. And earlier this week, we get reports in the... Uh, we know. So I was going to go to the New York Times, but we actually had the Washington Post before that. Um and um, right posted the first the Washington um, Post story was the administration. Was it folks in the administration who were reporting this? Which one? Yeah, was, dude, there's so many. There's so which, many. Which, which uh, I think I, I think it was the uh, that uh, that the Comey Washington dinner. Post Comey dinner the, or the or the, the yeah post. that was a post yeah. story yeah. That was the Comey, Greg, the Greg, Greg Jaffe. Yeah. This is at the Comey dinner that Donald Trump is have, is reportedly having a conversation with just with Comey and says to Comey, he asks Comey if he has his loyalty. Loyalty is the word. Um, and uh, reportedly Comey said, no, uh, you don't have my loyalty, but you uh, yada, yada, yada. I don't know. Um, then fast forward just a day later. And the New York Times is reporting on a memo that was reportedly written by Comey. And it is two people who are familiar with Comey's thinking on these matters and had knowledge of the, of the letter and are reading the memo to a Times reporter over the phone. 
And the memo is about a meeting that Donald Trump had with Comey early on in the administration, just before Flingate. So Flingate, Comeygate. And in the letter, um, it seems as though Donald Trump asks Comey kind of sort of to not proceed with the investigation or at least expresses his wish that Comey not proceed with the investigation. But here again, we're not quite certain what they said uh, at that point. We'll find it. We'll find out soon enough. So it's it will be it will be made available. You believe to, the letter. To, the, the, it, no, it will be made available, available to Congress. Yeah. Yeah. yeah without a doubt. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, and, and then and apparently this no, this meeting. So I, I misstated that the meeting was actually after uh, Flynn had already resigned. Um, but in this case, he's saying he doesn't want to see Flynn prosecuted, that he, he thinks Flynn is a good guy. And he, he I believe he says uh, he hopes that he can see past this or get past this, um, which, again, I don't know what this means, whether or not if this were to go uh, and be investigated further, if this were to come before some sort of judge, if they would rule that, look, clearly he's meddling in this investigation. But in either case, these are the scandals that we get, like several of them sandwiched together, all under the same umbrella. Um, and we are steadily trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Uh, there's one, the new- but there's one more scandal too, right? Is it's a new one. Oh, yeah, sure. The, the uh, um, exposing of, his, of uh, classified intelligence to Sergei Lavrov, the oh. uh, Russian foreign minister. Well, that was also last week. We didn't even we, – yeah. we didn't mention that. Yeah. This is another one. So that's another one. Yes. And then today – uh, Initially, the, that yeah. scandal was only that there were Russians in the Oval Office with equipment. One of them was a spy, super secret yeah. spy. And eventually we discovered that well, – You don't need a super secret spy to what? drop – a listening device because apparently Donald Trump was giving up um, a little too much information that he should. They should. I mean, again, another yeah. situation where something like this isn't illegal. That president, um, unfortunately, is you know, I mean, has is the declassifier in chief and can make those decisions on the fly. And there's there's nothing illegal. There might be you know you know a stupid, but not not you know something that can he get in trouble for. But apparently, what happened there was that there were people in the room that were concerned about this. Uh, because it was intelligence that came from a foreign uh, power, which we've later discovered is the, uh, the Israelis. Is um, these that's are, true. Uh, it seems to be true. And the, the Israelis have had a very difficult time uh, recently with sharing intelligence with the U.S. because they were doing so uh, with the Obama administration, which they had a very fractious and difficult relationship with. And the Obama administration, according to the Israelis, were taking that classified information and using it in bargaining in the Iran deal. So they were very unhappy about that. We already have a tough, tough go there. Now, Netanyahu and Trump apparently like each other quite a bit. I don't know if so much after today when he said, you know, um, we're not going to, you know, move the, the embassy to, to Jerusalem, which was said today. Um, but so this is this is a special level of classification because it is a foreign power. You're not allowed to speak with this, any other foreign powers about this. It did so um, that was reported back to the CIA, who had to be um, briefed on this. And there's a readout of the transcript, and there's a and then all that's it's ultimately sanitized where the the information, the actual um, intelligence is taken out of it. And there's a readout into the CIA, which then of course <laughs> immediately leaks it to to um, the Washington post, I believe, in this case. And that's the thing, as we've talked about this in the show before, is that 
Donald Trump is used to going to war with people when it comes to sort of, you know, getting a permit for a building or something. And he didn't really anticipate when he went to war out of the gate with the intelligence community that they were going to find every possible way and every possible opportunity to fuck him. And this is another example of that. So there are a few questions that come to mind and and I'd like to get into all of these things. But since we're on the the disclosing of intelligence in the Oval Office, there, there are a few things that come to mind with this story. I mean, the first thing is, my suspicion is, and this is not uh, making a defense of Trump or anything like that, I, I, I don't know, I don't yet know how I feel about this particular event. Um, but I'm working through it, and I'll be a little transparent, and you guys can help me figure it out. But if the first question is, is this materially significant intelligence? Um, because... The story appears to be that there were laptop devices that uh, ISIS or was trying to make in Syria into bombs that they could take yeah. onto planes. But we have actually heard reports like this about ISIS before. So yeah. it's suitcase nukes. It's the Kurson group. It's various other special entities in ISIS that are doing dastardly things that may or may not actually be Real things, but in either case, this is the piece of information. So that's the first question. Is this materially significant? The second is, how how regularly does this happen, that the president will confidentially – not confidentially, but the president will decide perhaps unilaterally to share a piece of intelligence in order to maybe build a bridge or some sort of olive branch? I – there seems there is a presumption, and it's certainly a presumption that's present in the reporting, that what Donald Trump did was just get sloppy in the moment. And and mm. decide that he was just going to show off and be yep. a, a stupid cretin to the and, degree and that this. the people who were in the room then immediately launched mitigating behavior. Yes. yes. So yeah. they might have been hysterical about it, self-serving. I think we can assume a, a, an amount of that sure. in any uh, bureaucracy and particularly this one. But right. they, they went and tried to assuage uh, allies or whatever people right right away but it's but it's in by the way it's uncommon the, in the way this was handled right. i mean the like president the, pre- the, the, yeah. the president can do that of course and they do that often to build bridges etc they don't do it with other people's intelligence assets that's that's very very rare and they would have to get clearance from in this case uh Mossad, to actually discuss these things with the russians who are of course um you know working very closely <laughs> with the assad regime so there's a lot of competing interests here that i think alarmed people to what it was it was about that. It was about – we think – it seems to be it was about this the, – the laptop stuff. And yeah, you're absolutely right. You can't – who knows if this is just some bogeyman or if it's true. It seems like this is actually something they, they've been taking very seriously, um, very very seriously. And what he did was – you know, McMaster came out and did a non-denial denial in which he very, very carefully worded that we it was it was about a topic that people had known about. OK, that's fine. That's not what the Post article claimed. And that we didn't actually give away um, sources. But according to intelligence officials, the amount of information that he gave in this sort of braggadocio way and this, and he said, you know, I get the greatest intelligence, I get the best intelligence, and is saying this stuff that it could be isolated to a very, very small geographic area and could be very easy to kind of reverse engineer who that source was. But, and that was their concern. But apparently. even there, I, I, and, and again, this is just, yeah, who knows if this is true? Well, this is, this is the what thing. we know. I, I yeah. wondered, I wondered there as well. Like I'm, I'm hearing shades of James Clapper 
talking about um, the the NSA and the various investigations that they're proceeding with. I'm hearing shades of various other um, prior administrations talking about all of the various terrorist plots that they had stopped. It's a good um, that's a good phrase to stomp on, by the way, previous administrations, because if you read the post story carefully, and I don't think anyone noticed this, it said, according to sources in uh, current intelligence officials and and, and those from previous administrations, Mm -hmm. um, those who worked in. So essentially this stuff got to Obama uh, era and people who are either left or kind of maybe they're hang on like they've been hanging on and are on their way out or something. But it says previous uh, administration or previous intelligence officials from previous administrations mm-hmm. are sources for this story. So they clearly weren't in the room and it's been, you know, weaponized in that way. And, and you look at this all within the kind of context of, you know, every single journal. I mean, how many stories have, have all of you seen in the past week that have had the word impeachment in the headline. There was something I saw on The Independent before I was coming up here, and it said, this is, it, these are things you should know about impeachment. Really? I mean, are we that? I mean, it's, we're, you know... To, to people are fast-forwarding uh, to it. It's a ama- lot. I mean, it's, it's a fundamental thing of the Trump era uh, in journalism and commentary and Facebook posts and the whole thing. People want to get to the conclusion first. Yeah, yeah. They want to get to either he's right. Hitler first uh, or yeah. that he's the anti-Hitler or they want to get to the impeachment. They want to just... It, it's, it's not even like uh, matching yourself, uh, you know, with a 3-2 count. Uh, in the ninth inning of, of Game 7 of the World Series, it's like, no, the, the World Series is over. It's yeah. this bizarre shortcut. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was the Miller story. But, yeah, the, I mean, the interesting thing uh, uh, about this is that I like I think this stuff is is atrocious. I mean, you have somebody who and this is going to have an effect on, an, on on American intelligence gathering capabilities. And it's going to turn these guys even further against him because we've already had the first European power said we're not going to share intelligence or be very careful about sharing our intelligence with you in the future. We don't trust your president if he's talking to Sergei Lavrov in such a loosey goosey way. Right. The Israelis obviously are are in best intelligence ally in that region in particular. Very, 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 very good at this stuff are going to be, and apparently there's been some back and forth about this already today, so that has been harmful as far as the intelligence community is concerned, I'm saying me, is that these guys are deeply unhappy about this. So those people who talk about the deep state, well, if one exists and if you want to classify it as the deep state, you've certainly been poking the deep state with a stick quite a bit inadvertently because it's it's in it's incompetence more than it is malevolence right well i mean that, when, that he, when he compared to the nazis that was kind of advertent oh no i mean the one like like the class the, the classified information i think trump like legitimately after this when the when the post story comes out or finds out that the cia is like you know going back and saying jesus do you, you see what just happened i think he's genuinely surprised by this stuff like what? I was just, you know, we all know this. What? Come on. What? What's going on? I mean, I get that sense from him that he's not mustache twisting and like petting the white I mean, cat. imagine the dope. Imagine for a second that um, every single referee in the history of basketball is watching your pickup game on Saturday. <laughs> And and you've got big feet. They're going to be just calling you for st- oh yeah yeah for for just stepping out of bounds. And like what the what's that? I, yeah. I I I have the sense that this is going to happen. The last week when uh, the uh, I and I I forget you know what part of the Comey story we were at, but at last <laughs> Thursday, <laughs> let's just say, I uh, uh, was the first time that I thought this presidency is going to end early. And I didn't think that because I think that there is collusion with the Russians and the Trump campaign. I honestly don't. I I don't have reason to believe that yet, uh, and I don't expect uh, to as much as I would like to see it because you know Ruskies, um, but uh, <laughs> I don't uh, I I don't expect that to be there. But no, it's because everybody, including deep state intelligent people, including every single journalist, um, they are watching everything this guy does 
a microscopic level, and he's a blundering fool uh, and and acts when he's cornered like a cornered rat. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to make a ticky-tack technical mistake, and at some point when his popularity ra- ratings are truly in the toilet among Republicans, Republicans will just flip and, and, so and far, shut him out. That's meant that he's been the greatest president of all time because he has done almost nothing, right? He's that's essentially a, paralyzed, so that's pretty good. For us, right? Yeah. We, we, we like this, don't yeah. we? Yeah. I, we're so not, far, I'm we're pretty not happy cheering. about this presidency. Yeah. 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 I don't know that we're, we're not cheering for, for, for calamity, right? It's not, it's not cheering for terrible and bad things to happen, but it is appreci- an appreciation and a respect, yeah. perhaps even an admiration for I the just, fact that when they are firing at one another, they are probably spending a little less time doing mm-hmm. terrible, awful, no good things. Every day I read... You know, the news, the latest news about Russia, Comey, Putin, blah, 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 all this, you know, the intelligence community, et cetera. And I search my mind. I try to imagine what could possibly come out of any of this that would make me care. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'll and, tell you what and, that is. Yeah. Months now? Yeah. I can't. There's well, no, there's not. I got nothing. This this accelerated uh, like these accelerated attacks on Trump. And, the, and and I think a lot of them are justified. It's just there, there's so much heavy breathing that you have to prevent yourself from being kind of, you know, anti anti Trump because the anti Trump people are become so hysterical and awful. But I think that what there's as this stuff as this stuff piles up. And there will be a point where it piles up that the dysfunction turns into, you know, the civil war amongst Republicans. We're seeing a little bit of that now. Sure. And, you know, the thing will come crashing down and there won't be just that guy who's mistakenly creating gridlock forever. And I think the counter reaction is going to be so hard. I mean, you look at what happened with Nixon, for instance, a very similar thing. And people compare this to what is nothing, nothing like Watergate. The one thing that is similar is that Trump waged war on a bunch of people and said things straight up. You know, if a, it says on the media, you are the enemy. You're the enemy party, the Bannonite kind of way of saying this. And the media is going after them. And I see Tucker on tonight saying the media is being unfair. No. <laughs> if you start slapping me in the face, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. That's what happens. This is the give and take of this. You do the same thing in the intelligence community. They'll do the same thing back to you. They are more powerful than you, and you are dumb. And the combination of that is going to be a deteriorating government, not necessarily in a in a – in a gridlock way, but in a disastrous way. When Donald Trump, I mean, don't you get a, a little, you in particular, don't get that, get a little bit, you know, uh, sort of skeptical or, or frightened when you see his numbers go up. They've been in the toilet. He throws 75 Tomahawks uh, cruise missiles into Syria, sure. goes up, and he mentions that he's becoming the, popular the for this. One moment when he yeah. acted like an actual, a normal well, president. But um, Yeah, and, so, and what did he see? He saw that he was popular because of it. But, so. he, also, no. but he also didn't sustain it. Terrible it, moment, exactly. When when it happened, it's, that I was a month my, ago. No, no. But, Are you but serious? No, no, but let's give it. How long did it take George Bush to get into Iraq? Let's, let, let's play this out. Let's play this two out. years. And, and this is there's there's two there's two sides to this. I mean, in, one, in one respect, the truth of the matter is that the Trump administration is more active in the Middle East than the Obama administration mm-hmm. was. It's not clear yet. Well, it it's it not. seems it seems that way. There were certainly he, he there, were the ground troops, there were the we ground don't. troops. That hasn't. I mean, it's there hasn't been there there hasn't been a Libya yet. Just don't know yet. It's the been a couple of months. Not there yet. But but in either case, there's some of that. There is some of that happening. I'll, I'll pull back the claim. But with respect to the Syrian intervention, mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton on the night that this happens is saying that something's got to go down. There ought to be a no-fly zone. Donald Trump lets off some tomahawks. I was expecting more. Um, at that point, I was a little shook up. Like, damn, this uh, wheels came off that pretty quickly. 
There are there are American there are American military vehicles. You can see photographs of this. The yeah. Guardian published them with American flags sure. fluttering off the back of them, driving through Syria right yeah. now. That's a continuation. It's a continuation. Yeah, but it's, it's well, not put, a drawback in more, any way. We did put no, more people in. Well. We knew he was. He always said he was going hard in the Middle East. There's not even any evidence that he's going any harder than Obama was. Uh, deportations, by the way, I checked this just the other day. Uh, they've gone down. There was a story today that where the ice had a, two weeks ago or a week ago. I, I, I saw this. The New York Times. They had gone down. They're lower now than they were under the last two years of Obama. The, so uh, it's really they remarkable. Are, they are lower at this point right now. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Per I, week. I don't know. Um, I, haven't, so, I haven't seen those numbers. I just saw that this I, I ice, he's still deporting I mean, a lot of Obama, people. Obama but, was deporting a lot of but people. But he's one of the uh, fewer people. <laughs> so, there's, yeah. there's too much stuff in the news, but uh, last week there was uh, uh, too little. And by the way, the, 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 the uh, ICE numbers today, this is the story that I saw today, is that immigration arrest increased by nearly 40% in early 2017 compared to the same period in 2016. It depends on where you're comparing it, but 2016 to 17 has been a 40% increase and 40,000 40, people have been detained suspected of being in the country. There were several articles uh, a couple weeks ago that... I'm just... This is the AP story from today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, it's it's certainly not any... Well, whatever. I mean, well, it... Yeah, I, I don't I mean, know. a 40 percent increase is a 40 percent increase. The point, right? the point that was made, it's, though, it's, it is. It's a lot of deportations in both cases. But the point, but, he, but yeah, the point ahead. that was made is that it's early mm-hmm. and we're still watching this play out. Um, and I'm, I'm not quite certain what will happen, but it is. I don't know if Donald Trump, the resistance to Donald Trump that has been built up. I don't think he could sustain the sort of bump the 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 prestige that a wartime president is invested with if donald trump was doing something unilaterally the opposition from democrats and republicans might be stiffer than what we would see in terms the democrats of the love the serious bomb, stuff <laughs> yeah the democrats but are big into the bombing hillary would there be more support or less support and i have no idea and it's impossible to mm. really know can we um, just not think about Hillary ever like again? Americans, I don't yeah. know. I think we maybe kind Generally of. speaking, Americans love bombs. I mean, like Jake Tapper was jerking off to the tomahawks. Did, like, remember did that? Jake, was that? There was, was a no, Jake. Not, was it, it was, was, a Jake. Jake. No, it was uh, Fried Zakaria. I'm sorry. Jake. Yeah. Was, no, it wasn't Fried Zakaria Fried Zakaria no, as, well. as well. As well. As well. No, no, no. no. Brian Williams. Brian, Brian was the was, beauty. Was, the beauty. Brian, of, yeah, I'm sorry. Guided, Brian Williams is jerking off to the Tomahawk. Guided by the beauty of our weapons. I mean, that's a pretty classic American reaction to killing people. I mean, there were pretty pictures. I mean, they kind of look mm. like fireworks. Like you fireworks. just have to keep in mind that someone Which might they, die on the all other they ever end. are to us. I saw Brian Williams at a restaurant the other night and he was with Bruce Springsteen. Just so you know. That's, you, a, that's absolutely true. And, 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 and Bryant Gumbel. Oh. <laughs> Who was taller. That's when I realized that God, Bruce Springsteen really isn't cool. He's hanging with <laughs> he's hanging with Andy Lack and uh, Bryant Gumbel and Bruce uh, and, and, and Brian Williams. Yeah, good God. Um, yeah, I don't know. Look, I think that, that it, there's a lot of wait and see stuff here. And to Matt's point, which I think is right, is everybody's kind of writing the end of the story a little too soon. Um, the lack of discipline is pretty interesting. And I thought the choice of sending McMaster out to discuss the intelligence leaking was very, very deliberate. I mean, in the past, you've had Sean Spicer handle this the next day, Kellyanne Conway doing the rounds on cable TV, is that H.R. McMaster is one of these guys, and to Thad's point about you know people left, right, and center, and people in the media, like military people, he has a lot of goodwill amongst uh, journalists in D.C. He's one of the only ones on the Trump administration that does. And I thought, actually, I thought it was pretty interesting that he, uh, you know, I guess as a military man, you follow orders, that actually went out there and put that goodwill on the line with a statement 
that was very, very carefully written and kind of sounded like bullshit. But they sent him out for a reason. I mean, they, they're trying, they're getting slightly smarter about it. The administration itself isn't dumb. It's the president who is dumb. I mean, they have people that know how to sort of play this game better than others, and they, they're getting rid of some of the real dopey Bannonites. And you've seen a lot of that. Then again, you blink. I mean, this is how schizophrenic it is. And you see that Donald Trump is going to Saudi Arabia and will give a speech on Islam <laughs> written by Stephen Miller. Are you who's, who's Is that, is that that's true? true. It's true. Yeah. And Stephen Miller, who's, uh, who uh, learned his craft from David Horowitz and did the anti-Islam week at or oh, no, sorry, Islamo fascism week at Duke University is writing the speech with that, Richard Spencer, I think. Uh, yeah, he went, he went, <laughs> no, he did. He went, they, they went That's to school, true. they went to school together. I, I think they ultimately oh, fell no, out. Richard because, Spencer isn't helping to, no, write no, yeah, yeah, no, yet. no, no, not, not Miller and whatever. Okay, they went, no, they went, they, Spencer did something together. Well, no, in that's, college, yeah, that's, no, that's fine. I'll but they were, they, yeah. they weren't friends because Miller's Jewish. I think that was the ultimate, the falling out was the whole Jewish thing, but yeah, and he's, uh, and now today, and and this is this will get Thad very excited. He said that um, that, that there was some uh, uh, anonymous source from the White House saying that we are there's two NATO related stories that I, that we might pull out of NATO number one, and then Thad, I can see Thad get, you know his nipples getting hard and he's starting to sweat and <laughs> clap and and then this trip to Saudi Arabia the the uh, the the uh, story that I saw before I I got on the subway up here was that uh, Donald Trump will suggest a Middle Eastern NATO. I mean, um, part of what they're doing is, is putting out trial balloons for a, a variety of different... They're testing... This, what the administrations traditionally they, they do it, everyone does something. it, yeah. Um, I'm not and sure sometimes it's, it's, it's a negotiation. I mean, I think that the uh, it's most likely that the drawing up papers to withdraw from from uh, NAFTA thing was an attempt to move uh, uh, his negotiation this much on whatever stupid lumber dispute it was, and within like 16 hours it right. had been reversed. But like it emanated clearly from the administration, trial balloon, try to impact something thing and then you kind of move on um but part of that you're right part part of it's like you're chasing shadows uh and and you and we do this all the time at, at reason mm -hmm. like oh we hear rumors that the new executive order is going to come down on religious freedom and it's going to do x y and z and the aclu is already pre-preparing their lawsuits and all this kind of stuff mm -hmm. and it comes out and it really doesn't say much of anything and everyone kind of like stands back down but those those rumors emanate from the White House. They're sure. not being uh, they're not being invented. And so you have to sort of play defense on a civic basis. Comey Gate, how do you report on a story like this? Do you report on the story and include the supposition? Do you give the best possible version of events and the worst possible version of events? Or do you default to the worst possible version of events? And do you get uh, a little apoplectic and almost hysterical about it. I don't think there's. I don't think there's a lot of that in the reporting sure. itself. I mean, the reporting on this has been very good. Um, there's an apoplexy industry that does that for us. When they, you turn on CNN, you turn on any of these sort this of talk true. radio shows, you turn on whatever Twitter. It's all people like, oh my god, it's the, the sky is falling. But as far as the reporting goes, is that what goes into like Greg Jaffe reporting that story? is a lot more significant than I think people believe. And if you've worked as a reporter and you've gone through these methods in the past, you can't just have some random guy reading something out from the CIA office and then report it. And that's not, actually not what happens. And it is that the credibility of the newspaper and the credibility of the journalist is on the line here. And if that stuff ever turns out to be not true, 
there are usually, and I can think of a, a ton of cases where this is true, there are repercussions. I mean, the, the, the good example of this is how do you report something um, that is, is even further away, like the Iraq weapons of mass destruction stuff, which is always the most interesting uh, case. I mean, Judy Miller was the one really interesting who right? got uh, crucified, but, you know, she should have been crucified. But there are other people, the two anti-war journalists that became sort of liberal icons after this, Chris Hedges and Barbara Crosette, both had front page stories based on the same sourcing because you're not in Iraq. It's a closed society. You don't like it's like reporting on North Korea. How do you get this stuff? You have to trust random people, you know, curveball who, you know, the the BND, the German intelligence, they they verify it. And this guy verifies it. Everyone verifies it. And you're just going in this echo chamber of verification. I think what happens in these stories, which is like slightly different, is you 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 know the player who's giving you the information. You know sort of what their biases are, if they're a kind of Reince Priebus guy, if they're a Bannon guy, and you take that stuff into consideration. And I don't think it's so much that people just get this stuff and they just start typing it and they're stenographers. There's obviously reporters that are like that and more in different situations. I don't think that's happening here because if you notice what, what, what happens when McMaster comes out, he, the reporting was about the chain of how that went from the White House to the CIA, what the CIA, and then obviously they're getting it from the CIA. And, and then McMaster comes out and, and they deny it. And then they ultimately say, yeah, it's true, but here's the problem. Another example of this tonight, there was a, a story about Kevin McCarthy in the Washington Post, which I think is a big nothing burger and everyone's yeah. getting excited about it. Kevin McCarthy goes to a meeting of Republicans. Paul Ryan's there, a bunch of people there. 2016. I, even, yeah, in 2016. Even Evan McMullen is there. And this is a guy who, who loathes Donald Trump so much you think he'd talk about this. And he says, I talked to the, to the um, uh, uh, I think it was the prime minister, maybe it was the president, the more ceremonial position of Ukraine, who says that um, uh, Donald Trump and, and Dana Rohrabacher are getting money from the Russians. And I believe this. I, this is true. Uh, he's, and, he, and it's hard to tell from that what his tone is. You don't know. It's, they're getting a readout of this. They get this from a source. Um, and then uh, uh, what, what was the next element of this? Oh, and Paul Ryan then says, don't talk to anybody about this. This is ridiculous. We just say don't talk anything about it. This is nothing to me. Number one, guy could be joking. We have no idea. Number two – you have Paul Paul Ryan, obviously, rightfully saying, don't spread this shit around. But the interesting element of this is how the politicians themselves handle it. The real liars in all of this. Because mm -hmm. they went to both uh, Ryan and then they went uh, yeah. to Kevin McCarthy and said, did you say this? And they said, no, we never said that. That's that's total bullshit. They go back and they say, oh, actually, we heard a tape of it. And they're like, OK, we did say it, but it was we were joking. So like you see, like reporting this stuff is pretty funny because you can't get confirmation of people. Then you say, "I got to tell you," and like they just completely change their story. No repercussions for them. It pays to lie to journalists, so it makes the whole thing muddy. It's very, very difficult to report on a super state that is very, very secret. Part of my frustration, overly secret. Part of my frustration with all of this is that it just seems like what's going on is most of this is sort of just inner beltway partisan factional fighting it's just democrats trying to undermine trump no matter what no matter how they can do it and so i just i don't want intelligent people like us to participate in it it's really kind of playing their game and it's not real politics it's not what's really going on i want to talk about like how many boots are on the ground in syria how many mexicans are being turned around at the border what the actual plan is mm -hmm. to replace obamacare um, it, all this rumor mongering is produced either by Democrats and their partisans or Trump and his partisans, and they're just kind of going back and forth. And so I just – smart people like us should not 
care as much about their inner game. But what if but I? But what if I do? It's like saying if I'm on a sports podcast, like why are you talking about sports? You should be talking about Wagner. Uh, this is my interest, number one, and number two. I think it's very consequential because you know that AP story about forty thousand more people being deported. That's a Donald Trump policy, and if Donald Trump is knocked out of the game. Uh, because of all these scandals, it has really real world consequences. And, I, I, and we might get Mike Pence, which could be worse. And there's, and there's also, I mean, abuse of power matters to me as uh, in general. And and that was always one of the biggest problems with the uh, prospect of a Trump presidency is that um, given his background and his life and the type of person that he is, he wouldn't see the normal boundaries in between how you can wield power and that he would act in a corrupt and self-dealing way. And when you are... Getting all obstruction of justice. I mm-hmm. uh, don't know if he's actually done it. Don't know if it's prosecutable. Mm-hmm. But the action looks and smells uh, in an adjectival way, kind of obstruction of justice. Like leaning on your FBI and your people, well, and then uh, firing him. Uh, yeah, that, that to me <laughs> kind of looks bad. That it, 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 it's not just looking so, bad. It, it is bad. Yeah. And, and so it, they, exactly. that will be of interest to me. Well, the th- you, no, I totally agree with that. Um, it's also all self-destructive. Right. This is- so it's worked against him completely. And uh-huh. this is what has tied him to the ground. In fact, I saw what's the anyway, he's like the giant tied to the ground by the little people. What are they called again? I forget. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, I saw a cartoon of that and I thought it was very apt. Um, so I'm, remind, I'm reminded of Nixon. Right. And we're, it's a good comparison. And what happened with Watergate? What was the concept? What was the lasting consequence of Watergate? From- Delegitimation of the executive branch and of the federal government generally. And that was, I think, quite a healthy thing. If you're going to talk about politics in, a, in any sort of public forum, you are going to have to respond to the person that watches real time and sees the um, Adam Schiff come out on stage um, and talk about all of the the various allegations that are currently ongoing and the fact that Donald Trump has committed a felony and should be thrown in. Well, Adam Schiff didn't say this. This is actually Bill Maher now. Maher does treason. That is treason. He's committed. He admitted to committing a felony and he needs to be thrown in jail. I can't actually have a conversation with that person Hmm. until I've diffused like that thing. Enough that we can get into some of the other important issues. Talk that about that a little bit because uh, I, I I wanted to uh, have Camille have the uh, experience of being in the Bill Maher audience because Camille flew out very yeah, nice. He yeah. was my wingman yeah. out there, um, hung out Scott Carter, you know, a whole bit. Uh, but he he went in the audience to watch it, and uh, I think he you still have a little PTSD from that. Uh, experience because it's as as uh, you know Moynihan do, can probably yeah. into it by watching it. It's what five hundred, three hundred people, something. It's like a lot. That. It's a scary experience coming. And they out. Yeah. all agree with, with each other. The, yeah. One thousand percent. And by the way, some, it is actually a comment that Bill Maher himself has made. Yeah. Uh, about the kind of echo chamber of his audience. He seems embarrassed. He seems embarrassed by it. And he said, and he said that they. He plays to it though too. He plays to it at certain points, and then he's and he said like they're trying to make uh, when he was talking about this, we're trying to like get people in there that might not be sort of clapping seals waiting for the next fish. This was a number of years ago, and it was in the best way of handling that audience was was the Hitchens way of giving them the finger that which is the funniest uh when he said your entire your audience who a- appear to all be frivolous and they start booing him and he says fuck <laughs> you and keeps making his point and it's like that's uh, that's a person who doesn't care about 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 the audience you but said your your audience which is frivolous 
and will clap for anything. And will, will apparently and, clap for anything, yeah. And he's yeah. giving them the finger without looking at Without them. looking at them, which is a great <laughs> moment of like how to... How to I, I watched that <laughs> today. Oh, did when you? When I was sitting in the audience. Yeah. Friggin' Matt. We're, I, go to, I go to L.A. to hang out with Matt and to go to real time with him. It's going to be fun. Oh, great. I'll take a photo of you. And they say, hey, Camille. Do you want to watch from the green room or do you want to go out into the audience? And I look at Matt. Like, what should I do? Just go into the audience. It'll be fun. Wasn't I right, um, Moynihan? Have you, have you, been, you, you said you've been yeah. there? That? No, never. Dude. I don't want to. I go and I sit in the audience. I'm good. And I'm, I'm back there, you know, getting ready for it to start. Someone's on stage telling jokes. And, and then the whole thing begins. And I, I don't really know how to describe this. And I'm not sure why I'm filled, I'm filled with more dread. Um, when it comes to this kind of circumstance uh, versus sort of the, the something analogous on the right. But it was a frenzy. Uh, I mean, it's you can almost feel the wave of hysterical emotion that just surges through the crowd. They're not waiting for anyone to finish a point. Like they are ready to receive and the, and this the is wisdom not and the confirmation. This is, this is really spontaneous. This is there's there is there is an applause sign, but no one is waiting for that or paying yeah, attention. Yeah, and this to is that. my this is enthusiastic. Real. This is my fourth or fifth time in the show, and it was by far the biggest kind of uh, uh, sen- a loudness, uh, a sense of emotion there because it was a uh, for them they they needed the catharsis after a, after a stressful you know, like uh, week of Trump news. Yeah, um, and you fe- you felt it. I mean, it was. Uh, mm-hmm. It was really uh, and this is Friday. Really weird. This is Friday evening. So on Friday evening, we've just had the interview. And this is I mean, Mars opening monologue that that day was uh, was all about the the felony, um, the treason. Treason was a word that you heard over and over and over. again. Yeah. And Trump had tweeted a bunch of crap in the morning, too. And yeah. uh, so, yeah, people were losing their minds. Uh, but like what I what's interesting about that is that so it fills you, Camille, with a sense of kind of raid. You want to you want to like interject and point out every time someone says something that is silly and wrong, just to kind of, as you were just mentioning before, uh, like we can't even begin to have a conversation if you were all in full bore hysteria and that you're surrounded by it. It's almost impossible. And I saw this with uh, our uh, late friend, uh, Andrew Breitbart, Michael and my uh, late friend, I should say, uh, Andrew Breitbart. Um, uh, you know, he was a, a, a fun, nice guy in person. He would never talk about politics. And occasionally he would start talking about the media and he would turn into the Incredible Hulk. He just wanted to get away from him. He was just so infuriated by being surrounded by these, you know, terrible leftists all the time. Uh, telling Which, him which is precisely why his politics were so nuts. Yeah. And his politics were nuts. And it was essentially somebody who was driven mad by this unifying theory that the media is there to destroy everything and everything that's good about America. And it's like, you know, I can sympathize with some of that. I, but I've been watching people be driven to hysterics um, like like Andrew. And the like anti-media the hysteric is also it's it's crazy. It's also hysteria. A, a quick anecdote about uh, uh, that. Um, so uh, at some point during uh, during this week, uh, uh, there was a Fox and Friends um, a piece about a guy who was a Kasich supporter, you know, goddamn his soul uh, in Ohio, saying that uh, media bias is turning him into a Trump fan. Um, and uh, and I you know, I tweeted out something to the it's effect. the it's the adult version of the university. The uh, university exactly creates what I was say. yeah creates conservatives <laughs> Sounds and like the faculty yeah. meeting. I yeah, mean, no, no, yeah. Breitbart, more audience. Breitbart yeah. was uh, was uh, was from Brentwood. Greg Gutfeld, who Breitbart you know helped discover. 
Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And Thad. I mean, yeah, Thad is... Greg is, and I it, bonded over that, yeah. Thad is turning into this guy, too. At some point, you, you're so... in I'm from Massachusetts. Uh, in, <laughs> that's, that's true. Uh, but today... Yeah, no, I, so today, I was at a uh, uh, an off-the-record lunch with a White House uh, uh, official, who I will tell you the name of after the uh, podcast is over. Here come the um, leaks, people. Uh, here Listen. come the leaks. Uh, mm-hmm. With a conservative organization here uh, in uh, in New York. And, um, and uh, the... Takeaways were that people in the White House are just as dumb as you, you think they are. Maybe, maybe more. They're invested in the great man theory. Like, oh my, you see how he succeeded in in real estate. The thing about Don, Donald Trump, it's he really cares about excellence more than anything else. Like, Jesus Christ, really? Are you going to yeah. give me this? Um, <laughs> but it was the crowd, right? These are people who are invested in uh, in certain types of uh, discussions out there. Three different of the questions boil down to: What can we do to combat? the evil media and what they're trying to do to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Like they are so motivated by that. And, and you just realize that that is still a huge organizing factor, uh, uh, the, uh, a kind of a cultural response to that. And if we actually get through the slate fantasy land of impeachment here, I think people aren't thinking this through because what happens to that? And Trumpism doesn't die with Trump. Totally. That's a, that's a, that's a false way of thinking about it. Yeah. Trump didn't create Trumpism either. Um, and so that feeling that, that strong sense of, I am sick of this culture that surrounds me, that, disrespects me how's that how are those people going to feel it, when the deep state right. and the elites uh cashier this president it's going to be a shit show and, and it's, martyr they'll have a martyr and, and it's it'll be a thousand times worse because the worst thing uh, for trumpists and people who are you know invested in trumpism is the character of donald trump because donald trump is very bad at being a trumpist he's very good at telegraphing certain ideas but he's very bad at getting that stuff done because he's too schizophrenic he doesn't know what his ideology is there is a core ideology here, but he's never found it because he doesn't care about ideology. Those who can do that and weaponize it in a sort of Marine Le Pen kind of way, who are quite good at it, and you see this across Europe, it's going to be a much worse situation for the anti-Trump people when you have somebody on stage that can very eloquently debate those ideas. Because the thing about ideas that you consider bad ideas, and I find this with people that disagree with me and disagree with Donald Trump and just, I, mean, I disagree with Donald Trump you too. Guys are the same. Is you, that no? No, I just, I'm just saying that know, every I'm people, I just, all these people, <laughs> they are so invested in this idea that my moral position is so much better than yours that I don't have to debate these right. issues. Exactly, and that's the problem. It's just thinking. It's, it's religious. It's, 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 it's religious Michael, thinking. I want to say that. Wow. Okay. See, that is, is, is so is so surprised. Lost control earlier. <laughs> it's just like a, I just want to explain to it's everyone. Like a twelve step meeting and to Michael. You know, it's a lot of pent up, you know, frustration <laughs> with certain people in this room over many months of listening to the fifth call. Oh yeah, well that's yeah, fine. It's all good. Is it sexual it's frustration? That well, yeah, man. That if that if you if that if you if, if you that's think that's going that, at the front of the podcast. If you think you're the only person who listens to this podcast and has that, you know, it's literally every <laughs> oh, every person, <laughs> every person. Um, uh, just you're not alone in that. But no, the the the, 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 the yeah. Trumpism. As to Matt's point, doesn't go after but, Trump, but it, it will be in the hands what, of somebody more competent. But, so the religious, yeah. So, but the religious thinking that leads to this, you know, eliminationist politics. We got it. We can't talk to him. We can't negotiate kind of with terrifying. these people. We have to just get rid of them. Yeah, that has infected most of the left, most liberals, maybe even the right too. But it's just, it's just everywhere in American politics now. This religious thinking. Good and bad, Manichaean, black and white, right? And it's about you can't talk to them. It's like how we deal with Al Qaeda and ISIS. There's no negotiating with them. You just have to kill them. Yeah. Eliminate them. And when we do that to Trump, to Michael's point, 
we are very likely. Well, so then you'll give all these Trumpists across America a martyr yeah. to go with their movement, which does nothing but accelerate any movement, right? Look at Christianity. Uh, <laughs> and then when you're going to what you're going to get is <laughs> look to extend this. The Apostle Paul, someone who's smarter, who's better, who's going to travel, who's going to who's going to really communicate like the Le Pens of, of Europe and et cetera. You're going to get the, the, the smart, talented Trump, yeah. the, the good populist nationalist, possibly actually fascist. Do, do you also I mean, are we more concerned about that than we are the possibility of deifying the sort of standard issue candidate? Uh, of looking back at the last administration and thinking to yourself, wow, they, they were great. You know, remember when our politicians didn't lie to us when they told us the truth? Yeah, uh, that's, that's rough to, to, to deal with. It's rough to see like the Ben Rhodeses of the world and and uh, John Favreau was on uh, Bill Maher with these people talk, who – Talking about lying I politicians. Just, I yeah. just – God damn it. That's also why I lost control. I'm just – I hate these people. I'm so sick of talking about them. <laughs> anyway. Now, I mean, like it is. I mean I think that – The election has been going on for five years it feels like, right? It never ends. God. I mean it never, it never ends. This and there is not – and was there – I mean this is the question. is like was it – was there politics and more genteel at one point? And we always go at that and no. say, no, it wasn't. Absolutely not. Less um, and we did that – I remember that great uh, Reason video of the campaign ad for like – 1800. The, yeah. yeah, the 1800s yeah, yeah. campaign, like the Jefferson yeah. campaign hitting ad. each other with sticks. Yeah, yeah, shooting each <laughs> other and hitting each other with sticks. Um, the political th- is the word that stands out to me from Whoa. that ad. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. you, wasn't it? What? How was I think your accent. I think I, I think I read it. Yeah, I think I might have done that. Yeah, that Son of that, a hermaphroditical whore. I, I might have. I can't remember. <laughs> it no, had to be. Yeah, it was an accent. It's probably it probably be. was. But but I think that the, maybe the thing that I wonder about is that now is that the, the sort of instant gratification. I think that that is probably not reaching as many people as we think it is. And that actually we saw that. B- was born out in a poll after the Comey stuff happened, then most people didn't even know that the Comey thing had happened. They were unaware that Comey had been fired from the FBI and was heading the FBI. Americans don't care about this, right? Am I correct? So I think it changes. I don't think they do. Not really. Not really. And I think generally speaking, though, that, that, you know, the way these we consume these scandals and the way they zip around is honestly different. That is is absolutely different in the way that journalists react, and then they instantly react. And then we have you know these kind of meta media narratives analyzing the way journalists are reacting to things, and all of that stuff was a bit different maybe fifty yeah. years ago. It yeah. is very. It's all very meta, isn't it? Right. It's like, it always. It's, yeah. it's, it's us talking about us talking about us talking about us. Anyway. That always gets to the flat circle, doesn't there it? You like go. he the, the, he never doesn't. Get to the flat circle. Uh, I, I think the, there's a lot of pattern uh, uh, behavior that's similar to the Nixon thing. With, yeah. uh, I mean, the the concept of of uh, the the anti Nixon press made me is the first thing that made so, me like Nixon. Uh, that that was a well, thing that happened a lot. In, in the, in but the, we in might the early get days. our cake and eat it too. We might delegitimize the executive and the federal government without killing a million Cambodians. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's a different show, maybe. I'm looking at that. You no, know I mean, right now, I mean, not. I mean, Nixon did incredible harm to all kinds of people all over the world in this country and elsewhere, right? 
So, you know, a hell of a price to pay to delegitimize the federal government and the executive. I'm just saying Trump so far is looking like he's not going to do much at all. What, certainly thing, less than Nixon the in terms thing, of harm, uh, that, uh, which was a temporary measure. I mean, it delegitimized the government for how long? I mean, we were, you know, it was right. it was morning in America again in 1984. You know, yeah. right. so I, I had Brink Lindsay. Um, I saw. A Brink Lindsay tweet because it was tweeted at me by someone who was who was prodding me, poking the bear. Um, and uh, the tweet was 100 percent wrong in response to uh, it, it was in response to the sentiment that Donald Trump is degrading confidence in government. And he re- he responds 100 percent wrong. Declining trust in institutions clears the way for demagogues, not liberty. Well, I have to say, it's not just Trump who's doing it; it's also the Democrats, right? I mean, I think this, there's a lot less. This is this is faith in the Democrats too, even among the truth, Democrats themselves. This is a truth that I don't think has been uttered, and and I rem- I'm remembering like the the night at the at the Mar um, event, and just sort of listening to the conversations about about Comey and how, and this is this is weird because. The, the scandals oftentimes seem to dislodge one another, um, not just like eclipse one another. We're not talking about that old scandal anymore, but that actually seems ridiculous now that we're mad about this new thing. So initially, Donald Trump obviously fired Comey to cover up for himself and end this investigation. He didn't he didn't want us to find out what was going on. And then we're actually upset because, well, Donald Trump has decided that it's Mike Flynn who he was trying to protect by shuttering this investigation. At this point, it actually seems like Donald Trump, maybe he's not being investigated, but he really was sort of firing James Comey to close down an investigation that ultimately probably wouldn't have found anything about him. Um, well, I mean, this this appointment now of uh, Mueller is, gonna, is a great is a great boon for Trump if he didn't do anything, right? Which yeah. we haven't even talked about. Because, I mean, who's... The, who's the of the news cycle yeah, just, just happened. Who is a, a, a relentless uh, prosecutor of things like this. And if he comes out of this uh, with a clean bill of health, which I suspect, and I, we've talked about this in the show before, I suspect the ties, which are, as we talked about, I think, in the last show... It's very particular. It's very particular when they say associates because of people that really aren't. And he has a great defense here because Flynn was fired, Manafort, Manafort was, was fired, fired, and Stone was fired too. And he's being a bit of a dick towards Russia. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's a bigger point. So, it's so, but giving, it, 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 giving them intelligence. And no one, and, and, and no one thinks of the obvious thing that we, we've talked about too is that the reason that it strikes me that he uh, fired Comey is that it, maybe he didn't do anything wrong, and he's asking for more money, and he's digging his heels in this investigation. And he says, "Jesus, fuck this! I can't get rid of this guy. Fire him." I'm tired of this. And Jared Kushner is apparently one of the guys that was 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 really pushing this also in the Flynn thing, uh, you know, also strikes me as a guy who's just in a bar. He's the kind of like, he's a good guy. What the hell are you persecuting him for? He didn't do anything. He did the RT dinner. Come on. All of this compounds when you're looking for these for these things. But even that it's just, oh, my goodness, this is part of some great conspiracy is that you know, I'm sorry to say it, but but it's almost too dumb to be a conspiracy. Even, right? even right? the Flynn story. These are not story. a great political talent. Yeah. No, even no. the Flynn story, though, if if we remember when the FBI decided not to go after Flynn, it was oh my god. I mean, he got to them. Mm. Trump is he's. He, He's in the intelligence community. He's dominating everything. He is orchestrating the Louise Menchification of, of of our brands. <laughs> so can we, I, I just want to go back to the media, though. So MSNBC is fascinating. So I think I think discussion of MSNBC's coverage of all this is is very worthwhile. Um, it's 
quite astonishing, don't we think? I mean, it's 24-7. Even isn't Chris Hayes now like fully on the Russia conspiracy bandwagon? I don't know. I, if I don't he's really watch it, him, but I've heard he's this. not hitting it as hard. It's Maddow and Joy Reid. I, no, I know are, they are. are like, They've uh, been going all the time. And Lawrence O'Donnell, God, you know, rest his soul. Uh, so also. the question. So it's obvious what they're doing because you can just watch it. But I mean, the question is, what's the audience think? I mean, do, does the they're, they're, audience they're, 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 really care? They're number one for the first time ever. Yeah. So they really do yeah. care. Yeah. It's well, it's actually it's 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 I don't think they care about Russia to be honest okay. with you. I, they I think care they, about they care about the club that they can Trump. Yes, yeah, right. killing Trump. But it's the However, first it's the, the first time it can be done. Yeah, it's the first time that we've ever seen this in in cable news because we we I mean we've had this kind of stratification in cable news of like left right vaguely center I guess on CNN just for the mm-hmm. for the sake of the of argument where what we used to have with magazines so the opposition magazine always adds 100,000 subscribers the nation goes up 100 mm-hmm. 300,000 subscribers during the Bush administration the same thing would be true of you know American Spectator during the Clinton years that was just always the give and take and this is the first time I've actually seen this in, in television that MSNBC is on top and Fox is on the bottom right now I mean you saw these numbers the other day Rachel Maddow I watched that show within, where she was going to get the demo you mean uh, it's in the demo, but yeah. you know, but it, there, she's I, num- Fox she, is still number one overall. But overall, she's, she's winning demo. She's yeah, winning. Yeah. De- she's winning. She de- is winning demo. So they've that never is done the most depressing news in years. They've, they've, <laughs> they've never done that. And, and, and when I saw the Matto thing about the tax returns, I was like, "This is a joke, right? Like, no one is ever so going to want." It was so bad. It was like cable access. Not, I mean, seriously, guys, isn't that like the most depressing thing? <laughs> I, just, I find that. there's a lot of stuff to be depressed just, about, man. The, 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 <laughs> the part about it that's good and, and that's or salutary is that uh, um, Fox is uh, continuing its ongoing nervous breakdown. Right, that's always good. Um, and I mean, they, they no, no matter what, they could always say, "We win." We win. I mean, the first uh, quarter of their ratings was the highest ratings for any cable uh, network on anything uh, in history this past year. But now with O'Reilly gone uh, and uh, and, you know, Tucker, this, I guess he's eventually going to run out of like assistant feminist professors to uh, browbeat on the uh, <laughs> and, stu- and students, by the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah once yeah, a week, yeah, yeah. an undergraduate. Is that, on there. that was, the, right? fu- that was yeah. the funniest thing about the Mar. Tucker uh, started off really strong and I was pretty much a fan for several weeks there. And I was really a, liking what he was doing. Even a, when he disagreed with him because he was at least asking tough questions and, and really grilling funny. people. Was that? And, and being funny, I agree yeah, with you. Yeah, no, like he's a, good. He's, he's now, a good debater. I mean, yeah. He still occasionally does that, but more and more, it's like really I big shots against bet, really easy targets. I bet part of the problem, though, is that they won't show up. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Because you don't want to face that asshole oh, yeah. no. who's going Guess to make what? you Guess what? Because they all have tenure. <laughs> they all agree with each other. They yeah. never have to debate anyone with fundamentally different ideas. So that guess what? They suck at debating. And he's really good so at debating, too. He's a very – whether you Carl. like him or not, he's yeah. a great debater. And, and, it, that. And, it, and it has become this thing of like if Mike Tyson kept fighting Peter McNeely every fight after he got out of prison. You know, this is what he's doing. He's doing chump fights. And it's really annoying is you have these people on – that are like essentially students or somebody mm-hmm. Antifa person. And it's like, oh, God, here we go. Here comes the glass jaw. Or, and if people get really excited, it's fun to watch. It's like watching somebody getting mauled by a tiger on the Internet. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, wow, that's amazing. And you're like, oh, OK, right. I've seen it's this one before. not what I watch. No, but like when he's fighting these these chumps and then he's got fucking Stephen F. Cohen on yesterday or tonight. And it's like we are really at a place. We're, everyone should know we're about to fight again. Well, we, we're really at a place where Stephen F. Cohen, the author of the Sovieticus uh, column for the Nation magazine is now getting a sort of hand job treatment 
uh, by Fox News. It's we're in a very different universe. The the thing that Fox is having a, a trouble with, and that's why I feel kind of happy about it. I mean, uh, it's they're going through uh, lots of uh, different traumas, and uh, obviously I have friends in the building and used to work there, um, but. Uh, they should be punished for not figuring out how to cover the ongoing Trump meltdown and just redirecting and just finding people. I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to cover it critically or the way that I would do it or whatever, but you have to engage it in some useful way. I, I don't think they figured out how to do it. Um, I think our, our friend Kennedy does a fine job of it and some other people do it. You can go full. I mean, you could go full Hannity. That is one option of doing it, but they don't seem to have the anything in the middle. And so they're they're starting to become more like MSNBC was under Obama, which was is just kind of gruesome apologetics and then finding the opposition to make fun of and to marginalize. Uh, and that's that's not a good look for uh, for a TV station. No, I mean, Hannity's uh, Hannity's show is is like it's, it's the Maddow's show and Hannity's show are the two most difficult television shows to actually sit Joy Reid has got to be the champion right now. I actually have never seen. I, mean, oh, I haven't seen her. Nance on Joy Reid. That'll that'll. Put you in your grave pretty early. I mean, I don't, I don't touch the stuff, man. Yeah, I, don't, yeah, I, I see it in clip, in clip I mean, format. I just don't. I, yeah. I, yeah, I don't. It's too much. But I watch the Stephen F. Cohen clip. Oh my god. Do you, do you do you have to say something about Stephen F. Cohen? Well, I'm that? not sure what Michael means. No, I that I just want. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, besides the the, the fact that guys, I, I didn't. I was. Been just, I was consistently wrong go. about everything in in his professional career. Um, um, I think he wrote a book about Bukharin that wasn't that bad, but that was in 1965. But um, but the the thing it, I was only pointing out the amazing. Uh, whiplash that one gets when you see the uh, Stephen F. Cohen from The Nation magazine, who's married to Katrina Vandenhoof, the editor of The Nation magazine, Indeed. getting a hand job on Fox News. Something yeah. is just a little, you, a little crazy. Will tell her because she may be jealous. So, yeah, well, well, you know, so can we, when trust me. I, 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 I promise I won't yell. Can we just unpack that a little bit? <laughs> sure, sure. We yeah, can. I mean, and I don't, I don't need to get into a fight about sure. it. I just want to clarify because his name's been dropped on here a lot, and yeah, um, and I don't. Uh, I'm no huge fan either, by the way, of Cohen or or Vanden Heuvel. I mean, is this correct? You've just never sort of stated it, so I'm just guessing. Sure. But that um, his 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 writings about the Soviet Union, in particular, in the '80s, um, were to you guys, I would imagine, too apologetic. Yeah, well, they were, or, but they're but also they, wrong. The way you talk about it, though, is <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, yeah. and I'm not. I can't remember. It's been 35 years since he wrote those things, but. Yeah. I'm sure that he was at least much softer on the Soviets than I would have been. But the way you guys talk about it, and I just can't remember, so I'm really this yeah. is a real question. Like, yeah. to what level was it, right? Because there was, I mean, there were like straight up, you know. No, no, he was. Brezhnev no, no, no. He was, he was not bad like that at all. I mean, he was even friends with guys like Robert Conquest. Conquest, That's what I thought. Conquest okay. had respect for Stephen Cohen and some of the work that he'd done. He's basically was an anti Stalinist. Soviet apologist, right? And I think the Sovieticus column is like every, he was always looking for the reformer, which by its own, you know, by its very definition meant that he understood that the Soviet Union needed to be reformed. My problems with Cohen now are his Putinophilia. And it's not about, it's not about, um, Saying like, look, uh, you know, the United States shouldn't be meddling in Georgia, shouldn't be funding color revolutions. He has lurched towards just being a straight up apologist, and he's very, 
you mostly can hear this on his interviews in the John Bachelor show. He's always on the John Bachelor show. And you listen to him and, and you know, it, it's this overlap now with so many conservatives who just because they're desperate to defend Donald Trump are now in this position that they will also defend Vladimir Putin. It's, it's not saying that this these charges are ridiculous. It's saying that Putin himself isn't that bad of a guy in a Buchananite kind of way that he wants to defend Western Christendom. He uh, is very good at fighting jihadists. That's the conservative view, not Cohen's view. But Cohen's view on 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 Russia on modern Russia, I mean, he is a, a great hater of Yeltsin, and um, his, his view on modern Russia is, to me, the most alarming stuff. So I, I just haven't seen that from him. I mean, I, what I've seen... Sir, ha- happy to send you stuff, honestly. Yeah, no, sir. I, I don't mean that in a sarcastic really, way. I mean that I really would. I'm not a partisan of yeah. his. I mean, I do think he's been right, actually, lately, about everything that's important, meaning that we shouldn't go to war with Russia, is what he was saying six months ago. We're in a new Cold War with Russia, which we were saying five months ago. He was saying that if we elect Hillary Clinton, there will very likely be a hot war with Russia. Um, you know, I think those are all quite legitimate, reasonable arguments um, about Syria. He was calling into question many of the claims made about the Assad regime without ever saying that the Assad regime is lily white and perfect. Um, he said that there have been atrocities, but we don't know. We simply do not have the evidence for many, many of these claims, which are pushing many Americans to want to go to war against the Assad regime with Amer- American boots on the ground. That was Cohen's argument that I heard him make on Democracy Now! and many other places three, four, five, six months ago. Yeah. So, um, you know... No, they're always very skeptical of particular <laughs> claims for, about particular people. There's a lot of claims they're not I very skeptical of, too. The Syrians, That's what the Cohen's Syrian, been talking about for the last six months. Yeah, the claims in Syria in particular, like the, the fact that the Obama administration at the time was talking about these various groups and, and the, the things that were supposedly happening on the ground. I mean, the fact of the matter is that the situation was pretty opaque. We didn't actually know what was happening in some of those not to some ma- of those. Yeah, not to mention that. Well, and, and there were media maybe. outlets. Not that to, were, I'm just saying that the state... The people reporting from the, on the serious the federal, stuff, yeah. The federal government yeah. has the federal government has a perspective on these matters, and when in fact they are they are announcing their perspective on what's happening in the region, their their own analysis, and it just gets reported as fact in a non-critical way, like that can be problematic. And I I certainly saw some of the reporting that Cohen was doing so, pushing back by the way, on that tendency. Because, because, maybe. I said, I, I, I'm not maybe. defending him in particular. I mean, I Stephen, but, right and don't, don't, use the, don't use the word reporting with Stephen Cohen. He's not okay. reporting anything. He doesn't know anything about Syria. He knows that the Putin administration those, is involved in Syria and he knows who to defend. Well, analyzing those stories in public, yeah. I didn't see many people who were doing that. You, you are certainly correct that the Putin regime has an interest in stories coming out in a particular way, it is entirely possible that he is just following his biases to arrive at these particular conclusions and to defend those things. Well, Steve, Steve, oh, put it this way. Stephen Cohen, uh, you know, his, when I second him, this is a lot of people too. Sure. It was very sort of pointed about uh, the United States' involvement in Iraq, for instance. Okay, fine. Um, when, when, you know... Uh, the Russian Air Force is bombing hospitals in Aleppo. Um, not deliberately, but they're bombing hospitals. This happened a couple of times. We know this to be to be true. Um, Stephen Cohen's not, you know, at the ramparts out in front of the Russian embassy protesting. He doesn't say much when the Russians do certain things. Imperialism, of course, being a bad thing when the United States is doing it in Iraq, not, he's not speaking up a lot about Russia's military actions in Syria, to which one could also ask in the very same way that we ask the, the, ask the same questions about Iraq, what the hell business of it is R- Russia to keep Assad in power? Well, 
they saw a rather nice, you know, convenient little power vacuum when the United States refused to intervene in Syria, and they decided to do it themselves. I mean, look, they're a traditional ally of, you know, the Ba'athist regime in Syria, but you don't really honor all of your sort of allegiances with people by launching uh, uh, wars, expensive wars. I'll tell you what Stephen Cohen's objective, stated objective was in the 1980s and is still now, which is detente with the Soviets then and the Russians now. And he believed then and now that much of the rhetoric was inflamed. And, you know, I'm as anti-Stalinist and anti-Soviet and anti-commie as anybody in this room. But I think much of the rhetoric so was so inflamed that it actually was causing wars around the, around the world. I think it was actually leading to war. And that was his major objective was to have a have. And this is George Kennan's argument going back to the 40s about the, the nature of the Soviet regime, which, which was that it was defensive, irrational, much weaker than we believed, much less adventurous than we were led to believe. And I think that is still the correct analysis of the Soviet regime, even though it was one of the worst regimes in the history of the world. We did not need to go to war against it. We shouldn't have. And that was really Cohen's. That was his stated objective. And same with Putin now. Right. So, yes, he's a nasty dude who's undoubtedly assassinated some of his opponents. No question about it. But do we need to go to war with him? And I don't think so. And that's really been Cohen's. Well, we didn't we didn't actually go to war directly with the Soviet Union, of course, proxy wars and everything. We haven't gone to war with with uh, Russia now. We uh, there is one power that did go to war in Syria from 2011 to 2017. It was Russia, not the United States. Uh, A couple of missiles arming some people in the weakest possible way and trying to figure out who's who. You know, Obama said the red line cross the red line. Okay, let's forget about it. (laughs) Right. And so another chemical attack happens. And there's been three since then. Bravery, by the way. Well, he says it took, took bravery, but you know the United States is is uh, in Cohen's view the aggressor in most of these situations. But you know Russia right now is the country that's invaded a neighbor, uh, cleaved off part of it in Crimea, claimed it its own in a fake referendum, and is fighting a proxy war that it's arming with a ghost soldier battalion in Donetsk. It has done the same thing in Georgia with Abkhazia and South Ossetia. It has done the same thing twice in Chechnya. Has flattened Grozny and put in a client state in Grozny. It's done this and a lot of things. I don't see Stephen Curry. And, and again, the whataboutism that, that, that begs, of course, is that what has America done? Yeah, sure. That's, but that's not the argument. The argument is, is that Stephen Cohen really is, doesn't have much of a problem with an imperial instinct when it comes from the Kremlin. And he's been involved in it too long that his instinct is that he's not ideologically lined up with the Putin administration, but he tends to defend them when under attack, the, when they are under attack. The question was and is what should Americans do about it, right? And that's what he was answering. He was saying we should not go to war with them. It's not, not, the, not the only question on, he's on, ever on. asked. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> we should not – in the Cold War, it was about adding more nukes to the arsenal. It was about strengthening NATO even more, putting more bases in, in, in Western Europe, et cetera, et cetera, right? It was, it was building up the military even more Reagan-esque, Reagan-esque style. Um, and now – Recently, it has been whether we should have a no-fly zone over Syria. That's what was proposed, right, by people like Hillary, which would have meant, I believe, shooting down Russian jets. Okay, I mean that's what that meant, right? I mean, so that was very, very. That that was the scariest thing in that very scary election for me was the prospect of that happening. He was arguing directly and specifically against that because he was saying there is no reason for Americans to risk their lives or kill nineteen-year-old Russian conscripts, by the way, for that to stop. 
uh, Estonia from potentially maybe being taken over once again or any of these other atrocity, atrocities that you've mentioned, but, many but, of which, by the way, know, none of what you said has – I mean all of those things are debatable. I'm not even saying they're all wrong or any of them are wrong, but they're all debatable. Even if they were all correct is his point and my point. Is it worth risking people's lives for that? And, and not just people's lives. I mean this is – talking potentially stop great things, I mean. great power conflict yeah with nukes that's and that's the it's the question i've i've asked in a couple of contexts during these conversations and usually the answer comes back down to well that won't happen but it could True. and when you put these structures in place to try to prevent these smaller crimes from happening like that is the calculus that's going on and i look I won't be too doctrinaire right now. I could take the strident position. Um, I'm not pointing at you. I'm gesturing in the way that, that <laughs> our people do. Um, and by our people, I mean libertarian folk. Yeah. Um, people from Maryland. I, <laughs> I, um, I, I just I can accept I can accept the argument. I'm not saying I believe it or agree with it. I'm just saying I can accept the argument, and it is one that. We have to do this in order to preserve freedom around the world because if we aren't protecting these small enclaves, then that great conflict will come. We will find ourselves in a situation where um, our sphere of influence has been su sufficiently degraded um, in Europe and in the West and we simply don't have enough allies to stand up to the forces of evil, not at all sarcastically, um, in – dictatorial parts of the world um, that are also very influential economically. Um, but I think we have to accept the other part of that argument, the possibility that we could be looking at a significant conflict, a major dust up between two nuclear armed powers um, because of that begins as a consequence of ultimately like this historic, this hysterical rhetoric um, about the danger that's posed by them and the, and the necessity of doing something I just straight away, right away. I mean, how old were you in the 80s, man? <laughs> how old was I in yeah. the 80s? Th that throughout relevant? the entire 80s? <laughs> because, I mean, the, the idea I, that we're, old, that, old that we're going to have a new Cold War, I think, is, is, is nonsense, actually. Why? Because we're not going to have 25 proxy wars in Latin America and Africa. We might have one or two in Syria, kind of, maybe, sort of, and it's confusing. We're not that thing doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, you know, after what? the imperial withdrawal, that's exactly what was said in 1939. Um, it was. I mean, people in 1939 said there is no way this country is going to war in Europe again. There is no way we're going to have another draft. There is no way American boys are going to fight and die in Europe again. In 1939, that's what was said. Polls across the board, overwhelmingly, that's what Americans believed. But like, so, right. But I so, just think that's, that's a, I, I, <laughs> I never say, I mean, you don't I, know. I agree. Never say never. And, and of course you don't know. But, uh, you know, Russia, as Michael has pointed out, it has been an aggressive power. Sure. Recently. And I and that's why I, I, I don't like uh, sure. Ruskies and, mm. and, and whatnot. Um, but almost chiefly in its near abroad and its former territory mm -hmm. there, they're not going to go and. You know, start military bases in Nicaragua. Oh, yeah, that that era is over. It's not coming back. We are not. Well, that's an argument in my, or that's a point in my favor. No, but I, I mean, in my favor, my argument. I mean, no, what I'm is saying Putin is that is not that Cold War is not going to happen. So the mechanics of this thing that you're worried about, 
most of them don't exist. I agree that things can happen. So what do you guys no, – honestly, seriously, do you, I, I have never seen any evidence, and I really just don't know. Like what – is there any, any evidence of Putin's intentions internationally? Like is, does he have any – Real plans that we know for sure. Really, do you have actual evidence that he has designs on Estonia or Lithuania or anywhere else? Well, I mean, well, there's a couple of things. I mean, I mean, actually, it depends. It de- well, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's real evidence of that. Oh, sure. I mean, United Russia says this all the time. I mean, the party's sort of base goal is is to get back to not ideologically what the Soviet Union was, but territorially. I mean, I mean, you know. Ukraine is not an accident that Ukraine's not a country in NATO and that Ukraine was a perfectly comfortable they were comfortable with it when there was a you know Russian cutout in Kiev when there were street protests and that turned quite a bit it's not a coincidence that right then there was a military land grab in Ukraine and a still going on proxy war there You're saying Putin's it's, party's official position is to reacquire that territory I don't give a shit what its official position is they for but, but why does that why does that matter they've they have military they they took Crimea as part of no, Russia I'm saying where's the evidence that he will that he wrote it down somewhere no, no, before no that he wants to God. He wants to invade Estonia. Well, where, where, where is the evidence that he wants to invade Estonia? Well, there has been enormous amounts of conversation. First of all, there was, there was the first country that was a victim of another country's cyber attack knocking its internet off the grid in 2007. That was the first thing that the Estonians were like, okay, this is really bad. They have a restive Russian minority population, very similar to what's happening in Ukraine. Usually these things aren't announced in advance. That was not the case with Abkhazia and South Ossetia. It was always that there's some Russians in there, ethnic Russians. We want that place back, and they have taken it. And that, in the case of Estonia, there's no reason, number one, to actually outline what we're going to do to you as a country, because you're a NATO country, we wouldn't do it. Because they know that they would create an enormous conflagration, and they are rational people. They're not irrational. So I think that everything way. Michael just said is entirely possible. I do. Um, then the real question, the more important question, is what should we do about it, right? Are you guys prepared to fight and die in large numbers for that? We have a volunteer. Save, we have save, a volunteer army. I don't have Estonia. <laughs> we do, well. We have a volunteer army. I don't, I don't have a to. lot of. We would kill a lot of Russian teenage conscripts, wouldn't we? Well, that is entirely right. contingent upon whether the Russians want to, uh, to, to that whether the Russians want to change the territorial integrity of the region by eliminating borders, which is just rolling over them with tanks. What would be done about that? Well, I think right now with our NATO alliances, we would go to war at, with every NATO power and we would fight the Russians off of Estonia. Would, you, so you, you would, would the Russians do that? But it's, the it's Russians an, won't do it. it. They wouldn't do it. It's because it, it's, it's not – everything else has been easy for them. They will take easy pickings. If there was, yeah, if there was, no, if there was no NATO in the Baltic Would I personally right – I don't think that matters. Why? I'm too old. I'm over 40 and I have diabetes. I can't fight anything. What your position would be on whether to, you know, go to war in a situation like that. If the if if a NATO ally was invaded by Russia, I would say that the the American military should uh, uh, honor its agreements with NATO. Of course. Okay, finally, I hear it. Now we. What do you mean finally? You make it sound like I'm fucking walking away from this. I could give two (laughs) shits about. Heard you actually state that honestly. Well, I know it. I haven't. But 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 that's it's implicit in the fact that I think NATO is a good organization. No, I know it's implicit. I just never heard you make it explicit. Well, I will make it explicit. 
president say that NATO exists for a reason. And the yeah. fact of the matter is, is that the United States has never had to go defend you, a NATO country because of NATO. Do you understand that most Americans have no idea about Article 5, right? I assume. They, I they don't even know that's a thing. Yeah. They don't even know yeah. that they, they obligated don't, they don't legally. Know what, they don't know what NATO means. They don't, so right. That's, so, yeah. so, so, so I suppose really, you should throw it away. It's really important to me. <laughs> it's really, really important to me to get that out there, to, to actually make explicit what this means. Yeah. Your kids are going to die. Right. No, your kids aren't going to die. Whose kids? Certainly yeah. can die. Whose kids? And by the way, by the way, I didn't know people under 18 could be in the military. Why are you referring to them as kids? What? You're not a kid I, if you're 19, 20, oh, 21 years old. Well, you, no, it's, no, it's just, a, it's just okay. this dumb rhetorical trick of like, not, no, should no, the kids not, die? No, these are people Michael, joining the military. They Michael, know what they're doing. Michael. They, 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 a, they have agency a, in this. It's not, a, it's not a rhetorical trick. Well, they're not, it, you're not, your okay. kids are going we to usually, die. We, we people in the military this, might die. So when my 15-year-old son is 18, I'm going to still call him a kid when he's draft age, my brother. When he's going to go kill another 19-year-old Russian for your friends in Estonia. Good God. He will still be my kid. Okay, but we're not. But this is the thing. We don't, we why don't, is that crazy? It sounds like a Pete Seeger why concert. Why is that crazy? Because it's, there's no military draft right now, and if your son doesn't want to go, neither was there in 1939. But it's inconsequential. Neither was there in 1939. It's inconsequential it's, whether or not there's a. But military they're not draft. similar situations in it, any way. But it's inconsequential whether or not there's a. a who's the Who's the expansionist right? Nazi Germany like no power draft today? Now there won't ever be a draft. No, but there's no Cold War now. God, this is almost an embarrassing conversation. This is 1939. There was a power that. Was invading countries and gobbling gobbling them up in Europe. Where is that power now, Thad? Uh, that, that, that's a question for you. No, it's not. I just asked <laughs> you. You. Want, you want a massive NATO right up to? The I asked you Russia. a question that you can't answer, so you're filibustering. Who is that power right Michael, now? There Michael, isn't one. Who is Michael, exactly? Hey, thank hey, you. So it's hey, not hey, a similar hey, situation. Exactly. Hey, that's why we should hey, dissolve hey, NATO. Time out. Time <laughs> I mean, out. Yeah, time out. You. Time <laughs> out. Time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. What an unbelievably silly time argument. Out. Yeah. Go ahead. Hey, damn it. Really don't get that. Look, I, I. Outweigh both of you, <laughs> like physically. Take it easy. I yeah. think so a way better left job. No, that's not. That was not a I, physical violence. Are you kidding? I could never assault either of these men or try to. Thad just said he had a very good left jab. So this is this is true. <laughs> yeah, the, the, he is threatening violence against me. Look, I just want to. I want to rein it in a little bit. Is this, the, is, this the, is this the one to grow on time? Yeah, yeah, it is because we've been going for a little while. We got to rein it in. Um, look, I think there are. I think there are fair points on both sides. I don't think it is a cheap rhetorical trick to refer to people age 18-ish as kids. Um, I, I don't know how much it... I think the argument is that to say that our kids go fight and die is, is wrong. Because, I, how is that because, wrong? Because, because Thad, can I finish your point, I please? I need, no, well, I know, but, I, but if you allow me to finish it, then you'll, the question kidding. will be answered. The, 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 the reason that I think this is a, this is a cheap little, a little rhetorical point is that you say our kids go and die. This frames it as these sort of innocent kids who just don't even know what they're doing and they're plucked out. And so we're talking about a volunteer military of people that are anywhere from 18 to God knows what and the NATO I, actual I was kind of an idiot at 18 like I was I was only so bright and when military recruiters show up at school in uniforms and they are telling you hey dude you should join the military and be all that you can be when there are ads running on television like during wrestling that that the ads for re during wrestling telling me to join the military so I can get a gun. So I, what what I else have, should you not be what other decisions should not no, be allowed to make at 18 years old I'm, that you I'm currently not, are allowed to make I'm not sure that's not a consequential question 
with respect to the argument I'm making right now. I'm not saying that they're not allowed to – because I haven't made a claim that they shouldn't be allowed to do something. But you're but saying I, people are soft-headed no, when saying, they're 18. Yes, I, that is the point. Okay, so let's take other things off no, the table they should be able to do when they're 18. You are derailing the argument, and I haven't even reached the conclusion. All I'm saying – you said they're not kids – what no. are they at eighteen? No, I'm just, we're getting we're getting we're getting we're getting, we're getting hung up on a stupid yeah. point that has no actually right. On this I, it has it has no. I was making a little throwaway point that like I don't like to say that it's like we're sending our kids over there. This I don't believe it this, to be uh, that kind sure, of thing. Sure, but I think that in in the way wars are fought now, like in Iraq, I mean a disastrous uh, adventure for for America. Would they, I'm just trying to think. Would it be a similar type conflict if a small country like NATO was invaded? I don't think. First of all, I don't think that a power like Russia would invade the only people that are capable of invading Estonia would invade uh, Esta- uh, because of yeah well because of NATO which is uh, which is what I'm saying and it's a very important point is it which is why I'm a supporter of NATO because I think it makes war less likely I, I like that that's I think that is a good point I think the other perspective on offer here however is it could actually be worse than of that. course. It always can be. Potentially. And, 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 the, and it, I think it's exacerbated by uh, adding uh, uh, countries to NATO that shouldn't be there. Uh, and I would include Macedonia or not Macedonia. What's the one that just got in? Uh, Montenegro. 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 Uh, there. Uh, the original guidelines for expanding NATO made a lot more sense than the current ideas. And I think some of the people who are trying to expand NATO the most are doing it out of a anti-Thad Russell, like let's actually try to not provoke, but like throw uh, sand in the eyes of, uh, of Putin. And I don't give a shit about uh, Putin being upset at NATO um, because that's I, I, I've been listening to this for 25 years when I was covering the first round of NATO expansion. But I do give a shit about being reckless and stupid about who you add. Um, so that's bureaucracies grow like that. And that's one of the dangers of an existing NATO right now is that you're going to have too many John McCain saying, all right, um, let's get up Kazi in there. No, but, but to, to the question, that, but to the question that was asked of me, I, and would you would you agree if Russia decided to violate the uh, sovereignty of NATO? That we should obligate, uh, be obligated to. You, you would do why, the same. Thing. Why would you? Why would you have NATO if it's not a defensive alliance? Exactly. Okay, I'm just making sure. I don't. I don't know. That's all I wanted ever was to be explicit about that. Yeah. So, not, it's not just you guys who are not explicit about it. It's the entire political class never states this. this, this that's true. what this things mean. This, this thing means. This is true. Yeah. Michael is totally right. Okay, about one thing, which is that yes, it's only a, it's one a, thing. It's a volunteer army. I'm right? surprised it's one. And 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 <laughs> eighteen. 18-year-old volunteers, I will treat as adults. I do. They're doing what they want to do. Totally agree with you there. I was referring to our kids as those who might possibly be drafted were such a thing to escalate into a serious world war in which drafts happen. You guys both were sounding as if there's no chance there's going to be a draft, you know, like maybe when my son becomes 18 or 19, right? That's a real concern for me, guys. It's a real concern, right? And for you to sort of just say, oh, it's just not going to happen. It's impossible. It just is so ahistorical. Um, no, no, two points just to Andrew, make, just to clarify. Yeah. I, well, I was reacting that way because I thought you were talking about our, the army as, a, as no, no, currently, no, no. My which is precisely, really which is precisely, well, I wasn't listening very closely. Right. <laughs> just precisely, <laughs> pre- precisely why I was saying this is a volunteer army, et cetera. Do I believe it's possible? It's always possible, yeah. of course. Do I think the situation is in any way parallel to 1939? I don't no, at I all. I wasn't saying that at all. I was saying that there were people in 1939 who sounded like you saying there will never be another draft. That's a comparison to 1939. 
So that's my only comparison was to those people, not to the world situation. Secondly, then choose a different year. There are other people who, sorry, there are other people who could be killed, right, in such a conflict who are not volunteers, right, which are the people on the other side, right? Russia is, am I right, an all conscript or mostly conscript army, correct? I don't know right, what it is right oh, now. I yeah, think it's yeah. mostly conscript. I believe they have a draft, yeah. uh, and that's who's there. That's yeah. who's on the front lines. That's who's going to die. So are you prepared to kill those kids? Sorry, whatever they are, whatever you want to call 18-year-old Russians. Russian conscripts, <laughs> conscripts, not Vladimir Putin and his evil henchmen. That's, drive, what, that's what's at stake here, too, right? You've got to be explicit about this. If they drive this. a tank into, into Tallinn, they're fucked. If, all right. See, I'm cool, actually. I really am cool with being clear about what it means and still being for it. I really am. I just get frustrated when people don't talk about what war actually means. If we if we were in a military situation where um, generals, uh, you know, the average American was reluctant about killing a a you know anybody in an army, anybody driving an MRAP, anybody you know in a tank, because they were conscripts, it would be a great you know motivator to have everybody make conscript armies because you're like, well, don't oh, do anything to them because they'll just they, you know uh, that shouldn't be part. It should be something to think about, but it shouldn't be part of the calculation. I don't think if or they're my calculation. But well, are they? Are they? No, I know. If, exactly. if they're squeezing triggers and you know killing people in Estonia, a country that's not their own and that whose sovereignty they've just violated. You know, that's that. The, them are the breaks, you but know, the funda- but the fundamental argument on offer on on both sides of this uh, divide is trying to prevent uh, loss of extreme loss of life, like trying to prevent conflict. And the belief, the conviction on on one side is that NATO actually creates conditions that allow this portion of the universe to be free um, and mm-hmm. contain Russia. And it is virtually certain that there won't be a conflict here and the conflict on, on and the and the perspective articulated by the informed portion of the other side and i should have i should have used the same qualifier um on on the back half of that um by the informed portion on the other side is maybe um but if there was a conflict like this would be Potentially for sure. devastating. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, a, a good and example. You are in yeah. fact a world, fighting a world war. A conscript <laughs> army. And, and a good example of this is to take it outside of the of the realm of NATO because we talk about NATO all the time. It's 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 alliances in general. Because if mm-hmm. you look at South Korea and what's happening now, and there's a lot of controversy in South Korea about bringing these Thad missile batteries in. Thad missile batteries, perfect. And and you know the thing about it is there is no NATO here. This is just America guaranteeing that you know south korea is not going to be rolled over in a matter of five minutes or something and this has been the case since this kind of formation of this agreement in 1957 where american troops really kind of dug their heels in there and that's a problematic thing too i mean i don't take any of this stuff lightly i do agree as most koreans do of putting those that missile batteries there uh, at a point right now when North Korea is as belligerent as it's ever been and that Kim Jong-un we thought was might be this modernizer because he liked basketball and went to school in Switzerland and is actually probably worse than his father and his grandfather. In this situation is not something to be treated lightly, especially because you have 20,000 American troops right there in the border. And what happens almost instantly, it's not, you know, ICBMs, you know, reaching California. It's those mortar Batteries that are on the other side of the of the unbelievably inappropriately named DMZ, the most militarized place in the world, world is the demilitarized zone. And they, if they 
if that, they're going to wipe a lot of people out in Seoul, which is very, very close to the border. And they're going to wipe out a lot of American troops quickly. And we just had a friend that was there with the American military as a reporter and flying an F-16s just up on that border. And the guy said, look, if we go one sort of click and make a mistake, he said the only reason it's easy, this is actually true, he said the only reason this is easier here is there are no lights on the other side of this border in North Korea, which makes it, makes it easier for us not to stray into it. But if you stray in there and that thing gets clipped and shot down, I mean, good God, I don't believe in that case that Pyongyang should be turned into a, to a pile of rubble. I don't. And there's a million situations like this when the Chinese brought down an American plane in 2000, when the Russians, uh, Russian-backed separatists with Russian weapons, shot down a civilian airliner, when they shot down one over Korea. These things, cooler heads must prevail in these situations, which in a way is what really worries me about Donald Trump, is this, like, you know, yes. the, the Syrian stuff was like, you know, that seemed like a good idea that afternoon. Right. Me too. And so that's, that's, that's yeah. has been my yeah. concern with Trump. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Camille's falling asleep. So we finished. No, no, I'm not falling There was an asleep. agreement it's, there at the end. That, that is attention. What? Is atten- you were getting attention. I'm, I'm constantly oh, oh. in the conversation. And li- that's what listening. Or, or I thought you were listening looks like. My oh my God. You listened to the first 40 minutes of this podcast. I didn't say a fucking thing. I just sat here stewing. When it, there wasn't <laughs> criticism. See, you think everything's shots. No, I know they are. I don't think. Jesus, Camille, I've known you for how long? Yeah, I talked about paranoia yesterday in my debate. This is, that's what you know, it looks like. Just because you're paranoid. That's the face of black paranoia. It's exactly. Michael Moynihan. <laughs> Unbelievable. I was just called black paranoid by black Ron you Paul. Know what, the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Amazing. Wait. I didn't realize. I thought Black Ron Paul was a character. I am Black Ron. You're Black Ron Paul. You're just now getting that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Took you like all us listeners a, knew that. A yeah. Long no, no. Ago. Seriously, it's yeah. as a character. Um, yeah. But I think it just kind of happened. But do I have like letters and everything? BRP. There's like a there's like yeah. a graphic novel about you. Like like letters. What do you mean? You the letters about the fleet footed. Oh 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 oh! If we put white people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, the Camille Foster survival report. I think those are, are those, <laughs> wait, the fleet, the fleet footed, the fleet footed people. Fat. Those are Jews, right? In uh, your, they were. In your book. They were. They were yeah. when they were black. Yeah. Yeah. And before that, it was it was Moynihan's people were black. The Irish. Yeah. 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 So he is when they were black. good at sports. So his yes. black paranoia is actually quite appropriate. Yeah. Huh. Or you should you know, see the uh, logical or something. Wait, wait. What did they used to call um, the Irish monkeys? It was, uh, there was all these great well, uh, illustrations oh, of like ape, ape like, niggers. Yeah. This was that's one. Yeah. Yeah. Smoked Irish, uh, chimpanzees, they called them apes. Smoked Irish is pretty good. Actually, you know, this would be a great opening for the show. Like Thad just running down a bunch of antiquated um, ethnic slurs slurs, uh, directed at Irish people. Do it. I think that's great. I mean, Wasn't it's that kind of like the entire podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> slurs against <laughs> slurs against the Mick. Oh, my God. Well, you know what? That's I good. Think, We're done. I think we've done some good work here. You know, what's great. Like the first um, like, I, I feel liberated, by the way, I just want to say no, this was this was this was good. This was explosive in a, in a good way. Uh, I'm going to have to edit out a whole bunch of stuff. But that's fine. Um, well, you can edit out. Why? I, yeah, I know that I, I said that for you. Matt, so you could defend. I'm not editing it out. Um, all water in these clubs today. All yeah, water. That's that's why everyone's so testy. I know. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, I'm hungover and um, surly. Haven't slept, and there's sleep. no fucking booze in here. <laughs> Meth. And by the and either. by the way, when I when I su- suggested booze, Thad was like, "No, don't have it." <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. And I'm like, "Dude, <laughs> trust me. 
It's going to be. He knows how to deal with the uh, smoke Irish. Yeah, no. Well, he would have had a nicer person next to him if he wasn't, if he had a couple of drinks in him. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, um, <laughs> this has been an experience. You know, it's really is this going to be a lost episode? No, damn it. Are you kidding me? Uh, I wish it was. Is it really going to be an experience? Uh, future tomorrow night. Oh, no. oh. Mm. that's a that's a black person for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a rapist. Yeah, he's a he's a rapper. Future young thug, and I don't really care who else is coming. That's that's not true. I'm a fan of Tory Lanes a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. I don't even know what should be good language you're speaking right I'm now. I'm just I'm just saying that it's going to be exciting, and I'm looking forward to it. Camille and my 15 year old son have exactly the same musical taste. I can't help it if your son is a culinary genius and, and various other things. and taste in shoes. This is true. They're like practically identical. Yeah, now. and let me let me, that's yes. Just tell him not to register for the draft. Yeah, well, there's or to ever don't, visit. Don't you worry about that. Wait, don't to you, ever visit Tallinn and select, fall in love with it and say, "I really, start, I really start. need to defend this country." No, <laughs> select, we're about select, to leave service. on nice terms. Don't. It's the yeah, thing. I didn't. Uh, I didn't uh, sign up for selective service because yeah. I was going to be drafted in it's Ronnie the, Reagan's wars to, in Central too, America. But you have to. Me it's too. the law. Uh, anyways, we're going to get the hell out of here, um, gentlemen. I, I appreciate you uh, making the time and uh, helping us all understand the world a little bit better and each I other feel better about myself and each other you know, when you see it when you see it a town power line in the street <laughs> grab it grab yeah it tight hold it close to your breast i just can't wait for the hatred that i'm gonna get after this podcast it's gonna be so fun I don't. We all made. I'll, I'll defend you. Now you won't. No. <laughs> I, and we were. By the way, uh, Thad and I. Uh, Thad doesn't drink, but we were. We were. I was drinking, and, and we were at a bar last night, and we were commiserating about the hatred that you got after a particular podcast performance recently. And I was like, "Good God, that sounds awful." And I really, some somewhere deep in me, I was like, "I need to create that for myself." And I think I just did. <laughs> I think I just did. I think I might have done that. Yeah. I think I really, I really did that. Uh, I'm sorry, Michael. No, it's fine. It's my own fault. I'll just, it. I'll just block everybody. <laughs> Why. Yeah, great. You come at me, I'll fucking block you. I won't even debate you because I'm, <laughs> I'm a coward. <laughs> and who has the time? Who has the time? Bye. 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 We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse.